Oh, I'm so tired when I wake up. What am I doing after school? Knocks me out. Well, you always hang out with us, but we're your awesome buds who make the day go better. Is it just that we stay up really late? I don't know how we can change that, though. Those dungeons just take too long to get through. I suggest sleeping through class as much as possible. Nothing we learn in there helps survive at night. I have a better suggestion, actually. If you stop shooting yourself in the head every night, you might have fewer hospital visits. Here it comes, podcasting's finest few hours of gaming prizes. Action RPG fans, come on down. Final Fantasy players, come on down. Might and Magic lovers, come on down. And Diskea fanboys, come on down. You are the first four contestants on the RPG Backtrack. And here are the stars of the RPG Backtrack, Phil Willis and Mike Mickey. your swords and prepare your spells. Your friends at RP Gamer got a story to tell. Are you ready to hear about your favorite RPGs? Because we'll be going back a few years in history. If you've got a backlog that is really long, we'll tell you what's right to play and what is wrong. we got RP Gamer staff on the mic to talk about these games for most of the night. So pull up a chair, we will give you no flack. You're listening to the RPG Backtrack. Welcome to RPG Backtrack, episode number 143, The Homecoming Queen's Got a Gun, the show where we talk all about RPGs from way back when all the way through yesteryear. I am Mike Mickey, one of your hosts, and our other host, Bill Willis. Well, he may be joining us in some form of post-added form later, but he's not here right now. But to talk about this, this thing called Persona 3, which has gone through a whole lot of permutations over the years... I can't do it by myself, not even close. I need guests, starting with Michael Axe. How are you doing? You may be happy to know that I'm using that copy of Ephemeral Fantasia as a coaster. Oh, no. Send it to me. I'll finish it. Someone has to. <laughs> oh, no. I'm sorry that your table has been so irreparably scarred. I'm sure it's a terrible coaster, too. We also have Becky Cunningham. I see naked ladies. I'm playing The Witcher. <laughs> that comes unrelated. <laughs> if only. Yeah. My house is not that exciting. In general, you I'm play. Sure there are exceptions. We have Scott Walker. Weep for my podcasting setup. I'm pretty sure it's dead. The evil sky. You can schedule was... the funeral afterwards. <laughs> Some, something killed it. We will take vengeance later. Uh. 
And we have Dave McBurney. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Don't be sorry yet. Be sorry after we get through this. No, I, I feel like it's important that I apologize beforehand. They'll, they'll need... They'll, they'll deserve it by the end. <laughs> okay. You're, you would be the best judge of that. I'm pretty good at that. So, yes, tonight on our agenda is Persona 3, which had an original version. It had a remake on the PS2, and it had a portable version. And we're going to talk about probably all of them, because I don't think they're that different that we would spend an hour on each one going through the many, many permutations. Probably make a fair case for talking a lot about portable, but Fest is pretty similar.
All right, the original Persona 3 was released, well, if Wiki is right, then it was released on July 13th, 2006. Does that sound right to everybody? Uh, yeah. I think at least in Japan. I think it's. I think it might be a 2007 release in America, but couldn't okay. say for certain. Yeah, we have a tradition here of relying upon the absolutely infallible Wikipedia, which just says July 13th, 2006, and doesn't even show the region, which... No. They, they're normally better for that, but... No, oh, there is one, actually. Yeah, that's uh, that's Japan. In America, it's August 14th, 2007. Wikipedia, I'm starting to doubt you, but we cannot let such heresy go There's a drop-down box, bro. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Yep, you are absolutely right. Um, see, you, you can tell how much I know about Wikipedia already. It's probably for the best that you know less. I mean, you don't want to get so reliant on Wikipedia that you know all of its ins and outs. <laughs> well, I don't want to decide to try and rewrite anything on, based on my own knowledge, right? Anyway. <laughs> August 14th, 2007 in North America. And what a reception it has. This is one of the most positively reviewed games around, and... Uh, it's very good at blending two disparate elements into a whole that makes its pacing very enjoyable. Sounds about right. Yeah. It's like a lot of times you get, like, something that's just a dungeon crawl, or just, like, dialogue-focused, and you end up with something that, like, it becomes very difficult to play on a stretch because it becomes very repetitive, but... Persona 3's, like, structure of mixing life sim and dungeon crawling tends to sort of push you into the situation where neither mode can get boring for long. It, it also helps that each each of the subsystems does key into each other in an yeah, interesting way. Yeah, they feed into way. each other. It doesn't hurt that it has pretty good characters and the music is also some of the best out there. Ooh, yeah. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> baby, baby. Dance while I put you in a trance. Man, everything more... about... That is the best, worst rapping I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's that best, worst rapping that actually drew me to the, to the game originally. Yeah, the soundtrack's very, like, modern in a way that, like, self-consciously modern to reflect the setting in a way that most games' soundtracks aren't. But I feel like we've just sort of started talking about the game, but not yeah, said I, I much guess about we could, what defines it. <laughs> I, I guess we could go on what makes it different from Personas 1 and 2, since those did not have nearly the same success. Uh, I'm going to weep forever for the success that Persona 2 deserved, but those are fairly standard dungeon crawlers, you know. First and third person, respectively, but still pretty uh, town dungeon, town dungeon. Really uh, good ones, simple. at least. Really good but ones. Yeah. Well, two is one's kind of rough around the edges, but one uh, deleted like, all the saves on my PSP. Is that both yeah, parts yeah, of two, or just one of them? No, both parts of two are pretty much identical in terms of structure and form. Uh, but both parts of them are third-person dungeon crawlers, very town dungeon, town dungeon, 
they just happen to have really, really... Like, the most reflective part of them on three is that they happen to have really, really good uh, character writing and interesting narratives, because that's the part that really carried over when they switched to the complete paradigm shift that was Persona 3, which... Because it was such a paradigm shift, also puts it like more than half a decade apart from the release <laughs> of Persona 2 as well. When did they start? Did, didn't they like drop? Actually, drop Shin Megami Tensei from the Persona brand at some point, at least in Japan. Uh, in America, it was well. In Japan, it never had it. Like the ah. Persona in Japan marks itself as a spinoff because Megami. It's not Shin Megami Tensei. It's Megami Ibunoroku uh, Persona. And then I don't think the other ones have it. After Persona 4 was a hit, they dropped the Shin Megami Tensei branding from the American versions with Persona 4 Golden. Okay. Because the branding is just stronger that way here. Well, it's still on the box for Persona 3. Yeah. At least over here. Shin Megami Tensei Persona 3. And when you start adding subtitles for the regular releases, that doesn't get awkward at all. (laughs) No. Everyone loves... Everyone loves everyone loves reading off the full title. Peter Jackson's King Kong official game of the movie. My personal favorite stupid long title is uh, Lord of the Rings: The Battle for Middle Earth to The Return of the Witch King. Oh god! <laughs> what is it with Peter Jackson specifically and the titles that just keep going? Uh, Probably the same tendency that led him to make three freaking Hobbit movies. <laughs> Studio? <laughs> That's okay. Square Enix will hire him soon, and then no one will know the difference. Okay, okay. That, that, that's a whole different thing, because you know what? Persona, the Persona series, even as they added weird words to the end to indicate enhanced remakes, used dictionary words in <laughs> orders that made sense. You, you're not digging Bravely Second End Layer? Uh, I, I'm still on episode Duske. I don't. I don't. I don't. <laughs> I can't. I cannot even. Oh, hey, speaking of episode uh, dumb title, uh, that just reminds me that uh, when they brought, when they added a second scenario to uh, Japanese Persona 3 Festival, they changed the name of the original episode to Episode Yourself. Oh. <laughs> Hey, you over there. Atlas, uh, Atlas made a lot of name changes to make things sound less silly in English. So, like, Shadow hey, Time at, became the Dark Hour. Hey, wise hey, decision. Wise decisions. It, it's almost like they're localizing. And yeah, they were pretty good at that. <laughs> but I would still have to, for years to come afterwards, see people who insistently referred to them as Shadow Time and Commuse. But yeah, like maybe maybe I'll just I, I presume this is probably played by a lot of people listening to this, so but you know, like basic premise, main character uh transfers from God knows where to new high school dormitory that somehow exists. Both those and are a thing. <laughs> those are real. Um, Those are military stories. Do they ever actually say where your character is transferring from? Or do they just kind of... No, because the point is that, like, if you're a Japanese teenager, he could be from wherever you are from. Ah. 
Well, that makes sense. You. Please write your name in the box. That's, Don't write anything yeah, in the that's, that, that's why it doesn't. That's why it doesn't actually give him a default name, and that's why, uh, uh, like all of the quote-unquote official names that are uh, used, like every other adaptation gives him a different name. I like that fact. I like that the, the canon name changes every time. Yeah, in fact, like, I'm trying to remember, I think, uh, just uh, because Atlas is so uh, concerned with this concept, like, for example, the Persona 4 heroes name, like, in Persona 4, in, not Persona 4, Persona Q, like, you, Narukami, will not fit. <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. But, yeah, so he, like, he or in portable she uh, transfers to this new school and then suddenly sees their dorm mates, like, every everyone turns into a coffin, their dorm mates start shouting about monsters, and then they fight one on the roof. Well, and they get themselves the in the head. Yes, that's important. Yeah, that's that's, that's, that's never like, really oh, explicated oh, upon very well. Like, there's a scene where someone's like, "Why are they shaped like guns?" and no one has a good answer. Well, no, that they, they do. They explain that it, it induces more trauma, which is what lets them. But evidently, they don't need to because the dog doesn't need a gun. No, the dog has his own thing. It looks. It, he it's has a on, collar. Apparently, that evokes trauma. The dog is the only sane one. Maybe it's a fleet collar. I don't know. <laughs> I would I'll, I'll be, I'm going to go with Wheels and say that the dog is actually probably the only sane one. <laughs> That's usually not too much of a stretch. Yeah, I mean... But yeah, so then the game has you split your time between going up giant tower that your school turns into for some reason during this hidden period of time between midnight and one o'clock and, uh, you know, actually going to school. So, you know, good times. Come on, someone help me here. <laughs> no, I mean, that's it. It's, you have the, it, is, it, is, it is a Mega Ten game, so there is this mysterious tower you must climb. And you are compelled to do this uh, throughout the... You, you slowly come to realize uh, its true nature, and then it explains it all for you in about the second act. And uh, meanwhile, there is also your colorful cast of daytime supporting characters and periodic uh, expeditions outside of the tower, which you realize coincide with the full moon. So you have to go fight monsters out in normal land, except, you know, it's still really weird and freaky. Like, that nightclub does not get any... Yeah, because there's no coffins just sitting around. <laughs> Someone somewhere has probably tried that. Sitting in a coffin at midnight? As a nightclub theme? I could do that. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I owned that club in uh, Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines. Oh man, I think you could buy that. Good times. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, like, you start, uh, you know, by, it doesn't, it, refreshingly, it does not take the characters long to figure out that, oh, full moons are important, be careful about full moons. Yeah, the well, I, think, I think because that is an element of the life sin, have, spelling that out early is almost mandatory, because obfuscating it too long would be a dick move. 
you played Shin Megami Tensei games. They've done worse for less reason. I know, but <laughs> this is the one time. I think that's actually, in retrospect, it's, it's part of why Persona 3 has caught on in a way that none of the other spinoffs have ever done. It's just because it has that sort of, like, hey, this is how this works. It's not that complicated. Here is, you know, a fairly decent explanation. <laughs> and that kind of permeates throughout the game. Because, like, Persona 3 has uh, three physical damage types and... and like seven elements. Yes. Six elements. No, Whereas, seven, like, there, there's there's bio or whatever that last one was. No, wait. There's almighty. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, like Persona one and two have in excess of twenty. Seriously? And they, yeah. Yes. Oh my god. They're insane. Like, oh, you know those things you think of as almighty spells, Megado. In Persona one and two, those are nuclear spells, <laughs> and those actually there are things that deflect them. Like, the, the willingness to pare down elements that complicated the game in a fashion that didn't make it much more in-depth was, I think, part of the reason that this game did so much better than any of its, any of its predecessors. But, I think uh, you're out of something there. Yeah. Because uh, it's, it's easily, like, the most... Uh, to the time that it came out, it was easily the most friendly Shin Megami Tensei spin-off ever produced. Because, like, even things like... Uh, Let's like, see, the most complicated 07. thing... Yeah, 07, like, the things that predate it would be Digital Devil Sagas 1 and 2 and Nocturne in America. Now, I wonder... So, like, I, I wasn't super fond of the decision to make the tower floors randomized. I, I, although, I know, I know I've heard some of the earlier games that dungeons were way too long, but still, I, I, I'm not... They're really... Randomized dungeons. Like... The, the good thing about the randomized dungeons is that they s forced them to simplify the layouts, because mm. Persona 1 and 2 have really complicated dungeons that are full of just nonsense like, oh, you fell through the floor. Or just this, or I remember the, the weird um, running around to find a switch to unlock a door, to backtrack, to go through the unlocked door, to unlock a to hit a diff, to unlock a different door with a switch to backtrack, to finally get to the stairs. And here they just sort of were like, okay, we're allowed hallways and corners and sometimes big rooms with monsters in yeah. you, like so the, it. Yeah. The biggest problem I... No, no, it, it's just that... So so the map becomes very legible, even though... And even just roaming about is is pretty straightforward compared to a lot of JRPG serious dungeon crawlers, I never felt compelled to have graph paper. Yeah, no, the, the game's auto-map is also quite good, which is helpful. Um, the other thing is that the dungeons are designed to be much more, like, bite-sized than before. The game has this constant encouragement to not try to take on as much of Tartarus as possible in one go, because you've got, well, like, the system where... Huh? It, it does lock off floors based on plot points anyhow. So, sure. It locks, one... off, it, locks off, it locks off floors. It has a tiredness system where your characters will just start complaining and doing worse in battle. Uh, and there's some days where some characters are like locked off because they're doing other stuff. Yeah, those are like 
Well, I've got I've got to study tonight. I can't I can't go see. You know what? The world might be ending in two in two months, but finals are next week, guys. <laughs> hey, hey. To be fair, they don't know that the world's going to end the whole time. Let's be fair. No, there is literally the scene where it's like, oh my god, the world is going to end in two months. Of yeah, the no, finals like, are in two weeks. Like, no, <laughs> It, it is two separate conversations, but they happen basically one after another. You get the bombshell of the world is ending in two months, and then you have still have to walk to school, and the girls you always eavesdrop on, because I guess you have the same walking route and aren't particularly interested in interacting with them, uh, are just c- complaining about how they have finals soon. <laughs> And and don't forget, if you stay on a floor for too long, you get chased by death. Just in yeah. case, you know, all the other things weren't keeping you from staying too long. Well, I mean... And does death just outright kill you, or do you get a chance to beat him? You get a boss fight, but he is the hardest boss fight in the thing. Yeah, so basically, he kills you. Okay, you can, that's good, that's there, good there's incentive. There's a point... There's a point about at the end of your New Game Plus run where you're like, no, I will beat you death. But before that, it's pretty much just like, yeah, I'm going to keep moving. <laughs> He's called death for a reason, after all. It doesn't, doesn't hurt that the shadows really are like blobs on the map. And the death shadow, if I recall, was, was kind of unique. So you'd be like, ah, crap, what's the stairs? What's the time limit? Is, there, is it anything clear that you can obviously know oh crap, death is about to come. Don't think so. I don't remember. It was like maybe a half hour or something of real time. Yeah, you you, you basically kind of have to wander off to make a sandwich and not hit pause. Yeah, it's not something you're normally just going to run into. If you're grinding... Yeah, the Reaper is like the game's encouragement to not just sit around. <laughs> like you, you can't farm a good corner, I guess. <laughs> then again, like, it's Trying to farm a good corner is less effective than just moving up and down the floors. So. Yeah. Yeah. But it's funny that, the first time you does give the game a. Yeah, it's just like it's especially great if you let your party members flip it up, and then you just suddenly hear that the reaper attacked one of them and they're dead now. Yeah, I forgot about that. You can let people run around on their own for some. Yeah, you can split up party members. It's almost never a good idea. In fact, the game tries to force you to automate a lot of stuff, and it's always irritating. <laughs> yeah, and you, mean, like, you also get the random floors where you start separated for no reason. Oh, I forgot they did that. They did away with that, I want to say, in subsequent re-releases. I, it was still but, in Fez. It might not have been in Portable. Yeah, I don't think it's in Portable is the thing, because Portable added in the ability to control your party members, because original P3 has that charming notion that, oh, they're normal people, so they don't all know what you want them to do. And well, hey, that's AI is perfectly admirable, except sometimes when it decides status effect magic is totally worth using, guys. Sometimes <laughs> it decides that you're about to die, fans. but it's time for Mitsuru to cast Marinkari. <laughs> Yeah. Or sometimes, or just Yukari who fails. Yukari fails. So, I've only really okay. p- played the PSP release, so tell me more about not being able to control your party. So, in the vanilla release, every time that your party as a group gets a level, they rank up the full arcana of the social links. 
you get a new way to command them. And almost all of them are completely useless because almost all of them are really, really broad things and you might not even want all of your party members to do all of them, but you can only order all of them to do something. It is very broadly, say, conserve MP or use physical attacks. When I, really think, what I think you... what I ultimately ended up settling on for P3 Vanilla was to just tell them always to try to knock down the opponent. Yeah, that that's the only command that really works. And in, in Because it in, forces them to try to use effect attacks that are known to be effective. Yes. And then um, Of course then sometimes you'll get something that is only weak to light and dark, and then you just kind of hate everything. <laughs> oh man. So I, I played I as I do with all personas, uh, my husband and I played this together, switching off the uh, controller and we, we had never played oh, a, an SMT game before, so we got to the first boss that uh, was only weak to light attacks, and we didn't have a light attack in the group, and we're like, okay, what, what should we do? <laughs> it was and it turns out it wouldn't have helped you that much anyway. Yeah, well, we actually, I think we ended up, uh, we, we, we had finished early enough that we could go back on a later date and <laughs> find it, you know. Level up a bit, find him with a headlight. Light, yeah, light and darkness weaknesses don't really work that well in Persona 3, because unlike later games, uh, I think Persona 3 Portable is included in this, there is no increased chance of hitting something just because it's weak to that element. Yeah. So, because light and dark are both instant death attacks, you're basically just sort of screwed if something happens to be weak to them. Yeah, I think it may have been more that we leveled up than that we got light attacks that ended up helping us. So it was kind of funny because so far, you know, we were like, oh, yeah, water guys are weak to fire, fire guys are weak to this, blah, blah, blah. That's easy. And then we got to this one. It's like, nothing works. <laughs> <laughs> the best part is that, every, that everyone's most hated moment in Persona 3 when they first play it is you get to the first place where enemies start using light and dark spells. You don't oh, know what God. they do. Some cast voodoo on you, you die, and then it's game over because your main character died. Yeah. <laughs> I love that mechanic so much. It's always the I'm best. Glad that, I'm glad that future games in the series decided to, at the very least, throw you the bone of, oh, if you're about to get killed, someone's going to try to knock you out of the way. Or, you know, that at least there were sort of items that could, had, had auto Rare and precious homunculi. Yeah, rare and precious homunculi. Or if you were playing the re-release, you flipped it over to easy, which gave you some free homunculi or something similar. I forget what their names were, but they, they worked on more things than just having died. Like, basically, they just let you restart at the beginning of a fight. Yeah. Or, you know, later games realizing that, oh, hey, Yukari has a res spell. There's no reason the game needs to end if you die. <laughs> Seriously. But that was a, that was a lovely feature that I think uh, Nocturne first introduced, and like most of its progeny, use it in some fashion. But yeah, that that's kind of the thing about going back on a three is that it's still a really interesting game, but a lot of the niceties that it's uh, that the things that successors would uh, introduce make it kind of hard to go back to the vanilla release. Like that, yeah. I mean, there's even just some. Even just little things from Fez make it the better option just by virtue of balance. Yeah, there's absolutely no reason to play vanilla release anymore because Fez is easier to find. It's available digitally. It's uh, just 
you know, it is just the original release, but with more stuff in it. There's no reason to play the original version of it. This came out less than a year after the original. They clearly realized there was room for improvement. Yeah, and that's kind of a, you know, a common thing with Atlas, where they'll release something and then they'll make a very quick, like, addition, like, oh, here's something, here's, like, some fixes for some of the things we messed up. Sometimes it's in the form of a sequel, but... This one was also, you so, know, its its popularity in North America was kind of unexpected. Yeah, like, I remember trying to get hold of a copy after hearing good word of mouth, and it was just, like, a complete pain. I managed, I still managed to get hold of it before the, uh, yeah, before Fest happened, so that sort of sits around collecting Fest. I don't remember how we first heard about it. Kyle, do you remember how we first heard about Persona 3? Kyle? Oh, no, okay. Sorry, I'm, apparently it's a good noise-canceling headphones. He says no. Okay, we don't remember. <laughs> I'm, like, I think, I want to say the first place I heard about it was, like, Penny Arcade did a comic about it, where it was just, like, a guy talking, like, a Japanese guy talking about the most offensive possible things you could put in there, so he starts talking about doing magic by having unprotected sex with ghosts. Uh... <laughs> Sure. Yeah. Why not? I want to say that gives it some exposure. Because, like, as much as it would be easy to make fun of the, uh, like, kids do magic by shooting themselves in the head, like, that did definitely draw attention to it. And to think of it, we may have read it on a little website called rpgamer.com that I used to read before I was snappier. <laughs> That's where I first heard about it. I seem to remember it getting a lot of very positive press at rpgamer. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It was real popular just about everywhere that saw it. For I, I, I did I have distinct memories of like game trailers reviews liking it a great deal. I don't know why I was watching game trailers reviews in two thousand seven, but Maybe you were watching something with the nerd and just stuck on the site? Maybe. That might have been it. I wanna say that happened with a lot of people. Uh, I, the other thing is I remember reading all about it on RP Gamer and being really interested, but Somehow didn't up, end up playing it till I was actually writing for RP Gamer with the PSV version. Yeah, I feel like that's something I had to yell at you about at some point. Yeah, probably. You'll have ample opportunities, I'm sure. <laughs> well, okay, yeah. we haven't really done the character rundown because apparently, I mean, based on my Persona Q experience, these are some interesting guys. So let's something. do it. Junpei, okay. is Junpei cool? Junpei uh, is a right proper bro, dude. I have his hat. The big, is, biggest problem with Junpei is that his mid-game subplot is the worst in the game. Uh, well, he's the only one that gets a mid-game subplot that isn't specifically like you working your ass off to date one of the ladies. <laughs> no, they all get like they all get their personal tragedies because all their personas have to evolve. Yeah, but those are like one scenes, whereas Junpei's plays out. The thing is that Junpei's, like, eight scenes are all awful because the character they're with isn't very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. What? Generic goth girl isn't interesting? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> and they just keep doing this romance, and it's like, why do you two even like each other? <laughs> because they were together in a room one time, and they had nothing better to do. I don't know. Look, look, someone had to be not romanceable by the main character, and that person has to go to Junpei. The best part is that they cancelled the ability to romance Junpei when you were playing as a girl in Persona 3 Portal. What? <laughs> it was terrible. <laughs> That's funny. 
Not that I would have wanted to date Junpei had I played the portable <laughs> version, but you know. I don't know. Akihiko and Shindra were right there. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I would have gone for that. I mean, Akihiko's okay, I guess. Mitsuru is also right there. <laughs> yeah, but it doesn't the, the girl's not allowed to date her, is she? The amount of lines changed is approximately two, and it still sounds like a romance. <laughs> Steamship is a big part of being a Japanese high school girl. Like, she's still talking that. about how, oh, I'm gonna run away from my business-arranged fiancé to be with you. Uh, Mitsuru is the best character anyway, so I mean... Yeah. I don't know. We dated Yukari. I don't remember why we dated Yukari, but we dated Because the game makes you feel Arcana. like you're supposed to. Yeah, she's like... I, I want to say her subplot is a remnant from when the game was originally conceived and had didn't really have social links in the same fashion. Like, it was much more tightly scripted. And thus, she got assigned the Lover's Arcana, which also kind of pushes you into that. She's okay. Kyle says super that irritating. Yeah, Kyle said that we didn't actually get Mitsuru's social link up fast enough because I think there's... Oh, oh you have yeah. to do really, really well in a test before you're all allowed to... You, you, have, to uh, you have to have... You have to top... You have to be top of the class in either a midterm or a final, and it has to be past November. And you cannot get top of the class, even if you get all your questions right, unless you have maxed your intelligence. Yeah, your academics, as it's referred to in the game. Yeah. Yeah. And since we were not playing with an FAQ, we, <laughs> we did not end up being able to Ooh. <laughs> Which is a shame. She's one of the hardest to get to, but she's the best character. Not. Yukari is not that bad when you romance her. She's, you know, she's the biggest guy. problem with Yukari is that, like, almost every story scene is her being very judgmental of someone else, and she's almost never in a position to be judgmental of anyone. <laughs> She's a high schooler. And I understand that's realistic, but that doesn't make her <laughs> Well, that's, that's what I kind of like about the characters in this game and in Persona 4. Yeah, Persona They're... 3 and 4 tend to have, like, they, they still fit into the broad JRPG anime archetypes. They're very, there's attempts to ground them in, like, the sort of thing that makes sense to a high schooler. So, like, much as I complain about how Junpei's romance arc is stupid, I can understand it on the level of, oh, high schoolers are dumb. <laughs> Yeah, that's, that's the thing. These characters aren't perfect, but it makes them feel like actual high schoolers. Like, even when they're being just, like, total jerks. But they're not all high schoolers. We can't forget about Ken. Oh, dear. <laughs> Sona 3 Portable has, like, the most uncomfortable thing I've ever seen in a game. Oh, yeah. At least in the mass market, because Ken's romanceable for female characters. Well, that's, that's not a that's not a, a bad idea at all. Not at all. See, once upon like a time, <laughs> once, once upon a time, Sam and I were at Fan Expo. We were hanging out, and and there was a guy at a book booth, and he's like, "I've got Yahweh. You girls, you should come over here and see our Yahweh." And we're like, "Okay." Oh sure, no. Whatever. <laughs> go over, we're, you know, just being goofy, flipping through them, and Sam's like, oh, it's Persona 3, Yahweh, we open it, and we're like, it's Ken, close that, <laughs> oh, God. I don't want to go to jail, <laughs> the best part is, the best part is your character is obligately a second year high schooler, which in Japan means they are 16. Ooh. Didn't some voice actor involved not... Like, refuse to record those scenes or something? They couldn't have refused to record them. They're all voice. Okay. 
And I don't think they recast Ken at any point. No, he just Ugh. he always sounds like Mickey Mouse. Persona 3 has some really good voice acting, but they had some trouble nailing down some of the roles, and Ken has some issues. They're shorts. They're comfortable and easy to wear. <laughs> exactly. Oh, man. Right, now I'm just glad that they didn't go full-on, like, 80s popular Japanese boy shorts, which look like hot pants. Your romance is portable Persona, Kyle. Oh, he didn't get that far. I was wondering who his girl romanced. <laughs> okay, oh, yeah. Shinjiro. I just haven't played it. Huh? Shinjiro is cool. Shinjiro. <laughs> You get bonuses for romancing Shinjiro that you can't get through anything else. I don't know. I never felt the need for Shinjiro to stay alive. <laughs> oh, spoiler. Yeah, this is the backtrack. Oh, hey, spoilers. Guess guess who is also not alive by the end of the game? You. Uh, you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Now I'm just remembering one of the dumb revelations from... Persona 4 Arena Ultimax. Is that? The, like, the new terrible new character is, like, the adoptive son of, like, crazy evil nihilist Chuji Akutsuki. God! <laughs> it's, like, the worst, most fan fiction reveal ever. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That is one of the characters. You, you're, you're yeah, dorm, your dorm guy. Your, 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 your dorm weird guy. dorm man? <laughs> he's your advisor. That's what he is. Look, he's he, he's the su- he's the building super, but they gave him a whole bunch of extra creepy responsibilities because he's the entire game making creepy puns and pushing up his Gendo Ikari glasses. And then he's evil. Yeah. Oh, he, guess what? He's Gendo Ikari. Um, like I feel like I, I I am going to just complain about the game just a little bit and say that I feel like the second half of the plot starts to sort of lose the plot, for want of a better term. Because, like, a lot of the second half of the game is devoted to the idea of, like, okay, we got rid of all the full moon monsters, and that turned out to be a really bad idea, but then we killed Gendo Akari, so it's fine, but we're going to keep climbing the tower anyway while everyone has a conspicuous personal tragedy. <laughs> and it gets really silly about the fifth Your play, main character? But... No, I mean, like, around the time that, like, Fuka's friend, who's ne- who, is, who was shown when she first joined, and then never again, shows up to say that she's moving, and then Fuka gets a new persona. I actually don't remember that at all. <laughs> yeah. yeah, this friend Natsuki is... She looks like she's trying to look on the road. She's basically there for two scenes and then leaves, just so that Fuka has something to be sad about while everyone else is being sad Fuka should be sad about her terrible, terrible voice and her terrible, terrible cooking skills. That's all she needs. She should also be sad about the fact that, like, she, her sweater looks like a sack for potatoes. <laughs> she thinks she knows how to wear when it's not school time. Well, you know, she's a high schooler, so I don't blame her not having fashion sense, but there's no excuse for <laughs> it, bad voice acting. Yeah, that, her voice is not. My husband is yelling that she got a better voice actor in the portable version. So I have to convey that to you all. Yeah, I don't think that well, I've actually done her S-Link, because I thought she was boring and I never bothered. It, it doesn't <laughs> like, really go anywhere. It's like, oh, I'm still bad at cooking, but at least you're willing to eat it. Well, no, she finally realizes that she should give up on co- cooking and just do gadgetry. That never yeah. goes anywhere. I remember... She, she gives like, you some sweet headphones. That's about all I remember. The game, like, the game has, because 
dating the girls is supposed to be, like, something you're working towards. The game gives each of them a, like, each of the three main girls in the cast a requirement in order to date them. So Mitsuru, you have the maxed academics, uh, and the... Yukari? Thing. Yeah. Yukari, maxed charm, and with Fuka, you need maxed courage because you have to be a badass in order to eat cooking that bad, apparently. Well, yeah. <laughs> what about all this? I guess it doesn't have it, so I guess it's an addition for Bess. Yeah, I guess they, they had to make up a tarot card for her. It's like they took a tarot card from another deck, which is something they, that would become a tradition. Because, like, Aeon and Judgment in a tarot deck traditionally both occupy the, 20th, the 20th, uh, uh suit. And so they just took another type of tarot deck's 20th arcana. And, okay, here's the Aeon. Because for some reason, Japan is obsessed with robots that need to learn how to love. Hey, hey, robots that need to learn how to love are cool. I guess not. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we weren't real fans of Igus either. Igus is, yeah, Igus is like an interesting. She's an interesting enough concept, but her execution is just kind of bland. Yeah, she like even by the time you start dating her, she only opens up in January in Fest. So like, yeah. if you played your cards right, the game's already over. But uh, like. Her entire thing just is like, oh, humans, I don't understand them, but I want to be them. Also, please touch my processor. Her best scene is when they first meet her, because the boys are trying to figure out how to pick up the Oh, oh freaking Project Baybot. <laughs> <laughs> I actually love those because the boys are being like total teenage boys. Like there, there's some like a lot of what makes Persona Three work. Even when I think that you know certain bits of it feel like like they sort of lose the plot, is that the scenes where characters are just being characters never fail. Yeah, like, like that that scene in particular doesn't feel like it's being fan service or anything. It just feels because the game doesn't actually have any special illustrations. Uh, sure, it just feels like high schoolers being high schoolers. What's better than this, guys? Being... <laughs> well, that, you know, the, the sauna scene with the execution is pretty great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I got that once and determined that I would never get it again. <laughs> <laughs> See, as, as we're playing it together, you know, my husband is like, Oh, come on, we've got we've to gotta try to spy on the girls. It'll go terribly. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, that, that that's exact. Like you have to try. <laughs> the thing is, you don't actually get a choice to not try. <laughs> you get a, You have to be good enough at stealth to not get caught. <laughs> but that's no fun. <laughs> I actually, now that I think about it, I don't remember how that scene plays out when you're playing as a girl in Portable. I think you're supposed to like input commands to try to find them. Yeah, you're, you're chasing the boys. Yeah, you're, like, trying to find where they are because you keep hearing the sound. Which was a good use of, like, the perspective flip that the game offered. That is actually, like, the nut, the really cool thing about Portable that makes it sort of worth going to, even, well, aside from the other niceties from Persona 4 that it adds, like, the ability to control characters. The Persona 3 Portable actually adds a lot of content because, like, half of the S-Links are changed. And, you know, admittedly, some of them 
suck. Girl Hermit is one of the most pointless stories I've ever read. But, I mean, some of them are way better, like doing any of the ones that got replaced by party members. Like, I don't care what you think about Shinjiro, you're better off with him than with angry, fat cultist. Hey. <laughs> we, never, we never even built that relationship. I don't know if we ever even found him. Yeah, the moon arcana that uh, Shinjiro takes over for in the girl game is an angry, fat cultist. Oh, like, yeah, he, we met him, and then we're like, never again. <laughs> when you first meet him, he's like, hey, I need you to find something that I've never eaten. <laughs> so, like, you find some, I think it's referred to as an odd morsel, just sitting around in Tartarus and hand it to him, and he's like, holy crap, this tastes awful, but I've never tasted it before, let's talk. Yeah, you're going to have to keep feeding him weird stuff. That Link is bad. That Link is bad. No worries. You know what, Link, I found really interesting and kind of cool was the uh, the bookstore owners, the old yeah, couple. The, the yeah, the Yeah. Yeah, that's It's really yeah. unexpected and pretty cool. Yeah, the, the elderly couple is nice, and I, I like the resolution to it. It's, a, it's sweet. It's a good Link. It's one of my favorite things. Right? Yeah, um, me too. And, and Art Boy. We like the Art Boy. Oh, baby. <laughs> baby. I, I, I forgot about Baby. I, I, I applaud I, the translators for trying to bring off the fact that he is a French man speaking Japanese badly. Without <laughs> <laughs> just being Inspector Clouseau about it, either. Yeah. Yes, like, basically what they end up having to do is they have him speaking in a real stereotypical French accent and randomly inserting Japanese words. It, well, he's also some, supposed to be a super weeb. <laughs> yeah, like, it kind of works because he's just a giant nerd. But, yeah, it's like... <laughs> hats off to translators for making that come across at all. Well, hands off in general for a lot of this game. Yeah, the game has an excellent, excellent localization. Especially given the sheer amount of text to translate. I remember... I'm, I'm trying to... I'm just going down in my head the list of... S-Links, and which ones are good and which ones are less so. So, like, Fool is the... If you, like, your par- party is a collective, then Magician is, like... It's this, like, nerd kid that really thinks that his teacher is into him. <laughs> oh, I remember that one, I think. I think the second one is High Priestess, that's Fuka. I think the first one I did was some soccer player that you date, uh, that you can date. Sports friends. Yeah, sports, sports friends. friends. Uh, <laughs> he will be in whatever, like, unlike Persona 4, Persona 4 had kind of this neat thing where the S-Link for Chariot would change based on which sports team you joined. It would always involve both of them, but it would emphasize one storyline or the other. In Persona 3, it does the more obvious and logical thing of just, oh, whatever sport you happen to join happens to be the one he does. I'm thinking of uh, a different one, like a girl you can actually date. Oh, yeah, the, the, the manager. Oh, Yuko. Yeah, yes, yes, Yuko's yes. Yeah. yeah. Yuko is cool. Um, you get, you unlock, I think she's strength. You unlock her by doing enough ranks in the chariot that she yeah. starts appearing in there and then can hang out with her. Um, there's, and then there's, there's the MMO. Yes, <laughs> MMO lady, that is the best one. <laughs> male, male MMO, male hermit is great because it's the MMO. Female hermit is replaced by the, this girl that sits in the library and 
is unhappy and spends the entire time trying to make friends, and then at the end she's like, oh, I just transferred schools anyway. <laughs> That's why, like, the worst change between game, between male and female game, the worst exchange you get is you don't get the MMO, you get uh, library. library girl. Yeah, no, I, I just appreciate the, the because I, I really wanted there to be more inter... Like, one... Okay, so the, the MMO, your MMO buddy, it turns out, is your homeroom teacher. And there's one scene where you can kind of, like, play with her. You figure it out before she does, so you get to play with yeah, her a like, bit over the course of it. There's one where she confesses to having a crush on you because you're, like, an orphan and moody. <laughs> and, then there's, and then there's, like, the end of it where she accidentally drop your phone and she sees your home screen and it's like, oh, where'd you get the, where, where did like you an, get that screenshot? And you can say, oh, my online girlfriend did it for me. Wink. I wanted there to be more teasing with that. <laughs> End of her S-Link, she, she like, the MMO is shutting down because it's like this ancient thing that no one plays. It's full of references to Persona 2 in the English version. The Japanese yeah. version, I think it's all references to Shin Megami Tensei 1. But basically, she, like, there's a lot of jokes about the concept of, like, like, she has you name your character after the male lead of Persona 2 Innocent Sin, and she named herself after the female lead of Persona 2 Eternal Punishment, who, like, is in kind of a similar situation, where it's like, there's a possibility of romance, but, like, it's less common. It's less explicit in Persona 2. So, like, they, they make a lot of plays on that, and then at the end she, like, leaves you a message saying she loves you, and then you take that picture and apparently save it on your phone. And so when you're doing all the S-Link epilogues, that happens. And the worst part is that she just sort of panics, runs around in a circle for a bit, and then contemplates asking you out before running away again. <laughs> oh, we have to remember the very best social link of all. Oh, uh, one? Devil. Oh, yeah. <laughs> The Devil is actually an interesting one because it's substantially changed between Vanilla Release and Fest because in Vanilla Release, it's a daytime link, and in Fest, it's one of the only nighttime S links. Yeah, and which which means you can it's one of the best ones to max out. Like, you'll hit that one, you'll hit 10 in that one early, and then you'll have just met beastly devil arcana personas through the whole game. It's amazing. One of the yeah. other great things is that, like, the, the devil, as its name implies, kind of never actually learns anything. Like, yeah. everyone else has a story where they learn something, and Tanaka, who turns out to be the guy that runs the, like, fly-by-night mail-order company that you can see on TV, doesn't really learn anything. He just sort of learns to look better in public. Well, you're, he's teaching you important lessons about business and life. Yeah, oh, that's so great, because, like, in order to initiate his S-Link, you have to give him tons and tons of money while he's talking about how he wants to make you, like, a model or something. And then about the third time you do it, he's just like, how are you this dumb? <laughs> how do you have, well, he's also like, no, seriously, how do you have this much money? This much money to throw around and that you continue throwing it at him. Like, he, he's so impressed by your ability to earn money that he, take, he, he insists, no, now you must be my protege. Although, you have to sing it. Yeah, it's Naka's amazing commodities. 
<laughs> hey, some of those commodities are in fact amazing. Yeah, they're actually quite good for some of them. They like he's one of the few characters that crosses between Persona Three and Persona Four because Tanaka's amazing, amazing commodities is still there. It's actually if you want to get through that game with all S links completed, you kind of have to know uh, what he sells because he can get you through S links faster in Persona Four. But yeah, like actually the nighttime S links tend to be really good. Uh, the other one that sticks out is the Tower, which is like this bitter old drunk Buddhist priest. Oh, I who, love him. He's so bitter and drunk. He's so great. There's one point where he gets entirely drunk, drunk, and I think mistakes you for his son? Yes. But, yeah, he's like, Mutatsu is one of my personal, like, favorite S-Links, because he's just, like, the most world-weary character imaginable. <sighs> and then there's also the uh, guy who may or may not have been dead the whole time. Oh, that the son, Akinari. Son, yes. And, yeah, like, he's, he, like, at the end of his, he just sort of walks away and his ghost disappears. Yeah. She shows up transparent in the epilogue, or the end of game, uh, we believe in you, congratulations sequence, whatever. Congratulations. But, congratulations, yeah. you're dead? What's yeah. interesting is that this is another S-Link that the, that Persona 4 implies has to have happened. Persona 4 implies a few of them must have happened. Uh, one of them is Justice. It's the clingy, clingy girl that... So, Vanilla Persona 3 has a mechanic that actually stops you from dating more than one girl at a time. Where, like, if you do it, they'll figure it out, and you'll get... Uh, like, one of their, arcane, their uh, things will go into reverse. Which means you have to spend time with them in order to get them to be willing to talk to you again. But, you gotta throw uh, so many presents at them. It's it's a it's a. Uh, the worst part is that because unlike Persona Four, the game offers no friendship route. If you want to max every S link, you have to plan out when you're going to like go out with which girl, and then at rank ten, they're just like, "I know I can't keep you to myself. Go ahead and philander." But <laughs> but like uh like one of them. The Justice Arcana is, like, this really shy girl that, like, she gets pissed about you talking to another girl after you reach rank 3 of 10. Yeah. So, like, you have to plan her out, but she is apparently one of the ones that Persona 4, when it references back to Persona 3, implies has to have happened. The other is that uh, a character in Persona 4 references the book that the Sun Arcana wrote. So, yeah, like, there's... An odd sense of continuity between them, much like there was between the Sun of One and Two. Uh, I think that's actually we've hit just about all of the Arcana at this point. Well, let's see. We didn't really mention where Koromaru came from. Oh yeah, Koromaru's awesome, and he is the new strength Arcana in, in Portable. If you're playing yeah. as a girl, but because... either way, you want to hang out with him because he's awesome. Yeah, Koromaru is like. The great thing about having a dog as a party member is he's the only one that can never be irritating. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, like, literally, okay, not only does he get uh, the best fire moves, he gets the best darkness moves, and yeah, he's, he's, a, he's a combat monster anyhow. Yeah, he's powerful, he's uh, fun to see, he's, like, he's a good character to always have by yourself. And he, 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 has a, he has a non-social link social link in the main game as a male, where you yes. just... 
hey, you take him on walks and you bump into ladies and it's like, oh, you have a cute little doggy. Here's and an it's item. like, here's an item. And I'm like, yeah, Koro's a the bro. Best thing, I think my personal favorite thing, one of the great little aspects of Persona 3 is that like all of your teachers in your classes have, in, have like some sort of insane personality. So you've got like, you've got your homeroom teacher, Toriyumi, who seems to dislike most of her colleagues. You've got, uh, you've got well, crazy, like, Sengoku-era obsessed history teacher who's, like, really angry every time he has to cover anything that is not samurai. Uh, you've got, like, crazy occult nurse that just wants to tell you everything about the game's themes and how, and how you should be interpreting the game by looking at how tarot decks predict the future. Like, even the characters that don't have S-Links have a lot of personality in the game. Oh man. I just thought of another uh, S-Link we didn't talk about, which was the Emperor, which is, like, nerd that is really obsessed with rules. Student council guy. Oh, yeah. student council president, yeah. Yep. He's not great. Um, oh. He just spends his entire thing being obsessed with finding who owned a lighter in the bathroom. It's, it's just that's, that's <laughs> It's like, there's repeated references throughout his S-Link that he doesn't have friends, and it's just like, of course you don't. Like, look at what you spend your time doing. You get really pissed off that someone owned a lighter. But, yeah, that's, I think about all of them, aside from the ones that are exclusive to the portable version, which is a surprisingly not too compromised port. Probably the best version to play if you have the choice. Yeah, I think a lot of people would have issues with not being able to control your entire party. Yeah, that's like a big thing that the portable version fixes. Is that we know if Phil was here, then he would immediately chime in on that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we managed, somehow. <laughs> Uh, Fez is it, it, Fez is pretty Fez is not too painful I think I mean it, it, you still have to be like you have to understand and be uh, you're, you're just gonna have to nod you're just gonna have to shake your head and click your tongue every time uh, Mitsuru decides that status effect magic is totally worth it <laughs> alright so Fez has this Metis thing is that worth finding out about? Okay, so that is the... No! Episode, I guess, the answer. Now where it's... It's junk. <laughs> like it... Like it, it they, they call the chapter the answer in, just to tease you in, with the vain hope that you can... Um, you, you'll actually find out what happened to you and why you disappeared. And it's just like, nope, it's Igis, and she has a robot sister, and there's a time loop, and... It turns out her robot sister is just part of her brain. Yeah, it was it was her shadow, I guess. It's really, it's really boring. It's really grindy. It's really hard. Like, they take away your compendium, so, like, we barely even touched on the fact that, like, Personas themselves are, like, this strange system where you can fuse one together with another... And when you do, they'll produce new ones. But one of the ways that that is made easier on you is that you have a compendium where every persona you've ever gotten is registered, and you can just spend money to get it back. I guess doesn't get that. If she fuses away a persona, too bad, it's gone. Oh, that sounds bad. Really bad. Like, it's the scenario's like 20 hours long, 
It's everyone acts like an idiot throughout basically the entirety of it. And if you were unfortunate as to not really use Igis in the main game, she's gonna be under. You're, you've got an underleveled protagonist. Ooh. And it still that, like, maintains the protag death is game over stage. The, the thing is, it doesn't even properly translate, which is odd because it's in the same game. But yeah. the game is un, uninterested in whatever level I guess happened to be at the end of the game. She's like level twenty now. It's uh, it's possible to die in the first like fight. I did it by accident the first time I tried this. Yeah, it, it's really not even. Honestly, the 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 payoff is not even worth it. The the plot itself is dumb. It's the problem. Yeah. So, like, even if you force yourself through this boring, difficult, un, like, repetitive scenario, because, you know, of course, all of the S-Links are gone, there's none of that, like, what you're left with is the game explaining something that the original story already kind of explicated. Oh, the protagonist is dead, his soul was used to find, uh, to stop Nyx from coming to Earth properly. Like, that's that's basically the only plot revelation. Like, yeah, it, it's it's fight. it's something that you could have guessed. Uh, I guess we should also mention there's another character we forgot, Elizabeth. Oh yeah, Elizabeth. Elizabeth. With her fake social link, where you just hang out. Just go out with her on dates. The great thing about it though is you don't actually lose time by doing it. You don't lose time. <laughs> and you get cool shit. It is the best fake social link her, ever. Her story is great, and, and also I remember being mad disappointed that. Like, the end of it is, like, the pseudo-end of every other S-Link with the opposite sex, but you can still do it. Like, you can... You start the game as a woman, you can choose between having a male attendant or a female one. So you can have Theodore or Elizabeth. And the game, like, treats it like the male one, except that at the end, instead of, like, choosing to make out with her, you get the options to go go for it or back off, but choosing go for it just costs you to back off anyway. It's like, why did you even give me the option? (laughs) You are. You do not have the courage. Yeah. I had absolute courage. You shut up, sir. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, that's uh But Elizabeth's great. She's like the daffy. I don't quite get human society, but it sure looks cool. Yeah, it is. It is the better version of the robot it's... girl finds love story. Yeah, because like, like somehow this game has it. Like, holy crap, this is neat. Swing sets forever. No, it was the teeter-totter, right? I'm just going to dump a million yen into this witching well. I've got too many wishes. I I hope that I can bribe the water to give me my wish. Oh, that's a... I did remember another, like, semi-important difference between Portable and the original, aside from, like, the point-and-click interface. And that's that, uh... The original game actually lets you select what weapon your character's going to use. Does it? Yes. Oh. Your character can equip any kind of weapon. Yep. Uh, By default, he will take short swords, but you can do anything your party can equip except Igus' guns because they are attached to her arms. Uh, Although, if you choose axes, you kind of run out of them. Yes, because when Shinjiro dies, they just stop making more of them. They, they, they don't. They don't carry that out, so you can't. You can if you if you are bound and determined to do it. If you fuse a persona into an empty weapon, the right kind of persona, he does have a proper ultimate weapon that is on the level of everything else. 
Persona 3 Portable because they took that option out. Uh, in Persona 3 Portable, you are locked to using short swords, probably because that's what everyone used anyway, because it's what you start with, and it's easy. Um, and archery is lame in the overworld. Overworld. Oh, school. it's it's because like you know the the point of giving you these options is that they allow you to attack enemies uh, in order to gain initiative. But the thing is, trying to shoot something is basically impossible, which is yeah. another thing that makes. Uh, the answer so obnoxious is because I guess can only shoot things. It's, uh, it's not great. It is bad. But yeah, what's even weirder is that because of some poor editing on the developer's part, uh, Mitsuru still talks to you as though you have a choice of what kind of weapon you use. Still has, like, a long tutorial dialogue about the pros and cons of each weapon, even though you don't have a choice. Whoops. It's a really strange oversight in an otherwise very careful game. Oh wait, I forgot another S-Link we forgot to mention. It's the Hanged Man. It's like, let's go hang out with the little grade school girl. It's very sad because her parents suck. <laughs> there. I don't remember that one. I remember yeah, no, the little girl by the, in the playground by the temple. The thing is, oh. it's hard to activate because you have to actually bring her specific food items that she says she wants, and they aren't actually available anywhere but your dorm. Yeah. Wow. You have to remember hit, to hit the vending machine. Yeah, I can't remember. I think she wants, like, mad pole. Yeah. Which and is... Then, like, I, I, the, love, I love the drink names. There's some great shout-outs in there. Even mad pole, which is <laughs> yeah. just the absolute... He, he absolute worst OVA of the OVA boom. Mad Bull 34, oh man. Yeah. And, um, you know, even just their, the, the Cylon T, which has 12 varieties. <laughs> and I'm like, I, I, I kind of wish each can had a number on it so I could tell. Yeah. But, like, she wants that and she wants the weird Takoyaki, which is great because it's just like, it's an they're octopus balls that have no octopus. <laughs> so what do they taste like batter yeah basically that's what you would like you know tr the, what's weird about the takoyaki is that there's no octopus in it <laughs> yeah so like presumably they would just taste like if you breaded nothing <laughs> but Persona yeah, Q that's... said that Akihiko has an obsession with protein does that have any basis in the game uh, that's, that's, like, entirely a, like, post-game, like... The thing about it is that late in the game, Akihiko, in order to deal with the fact that Shinjiro's dead, he starts getting really obsessed with training his body. Like so, he, like... He, he's introduced as, like, Ace of the Boxing Club. Yeah. yeah. So, like, when, when Shinjiro dies, his way of getting through his grief is he does a lot of exercise... So, like, later spinoffs tend to make a lot of jokes about him being really obsessed with, like, getting strong and exercising. Like. And then yeah. they wanted to play him off Chie, and she likes meat, so they're both like, Protein! Both oh. <laughs> of them want to become cops. <laughs> yeah. Which reminds me of the absolutely awful non-canonical anime sequel that Persona 3 got before Persona 4 happened. Oh, that that was terrible. Nope. We do not speak of it. What we will speak of is that you can hang out with Vincent from Catherine in Portable. 
Yeah, he doesn't get a character portrait until the very last day. He's a very strange Easter egg, especially because Catherine wasn't announced at the time. Well, that that's but, what makes it the super Easter egg. Like, it, it, that is the craziest, most Japanese and or Pixar thing to Easter egg, is just have this one random guy. Yeah, he's, th- he's there throughout the game, and if you're talking to him, he will give you essentially an entire plot summary of Catherine if you just keep talking to him. <laughs> but, like, you won't get to see who he is. He's just the weird patron at the bar in Portable. And... You go in there, like, on the last day, and he's like, yeah, I guess my story's just about wound down. Suddenly, he has a portrait. And then you would, and then you'd, you know, finish the game and not really think about it, but then you'd see the trailer a week later. Yeah, it was, it was a very clever bit of marketing, because I remember people being like, what the hell is this guy? Is he, is he a secret character? Is he like, are they foreshadowing Persona 5? And it's like, nope, he is, a spin-off that's kind of SMT, but not really. <laughs> uh, it's it's playing in the same theme park. It's I definitely think. got the same broad themes, although like Vincent's not in Japan, even in the Japanese version. So yeah. it's just kind of a strange Easter egg. It is weird. Um, it's super so cool gameplay. So we've we've kind of gone through a lot of the gameplay stuff, and we have the absolutely Byzantine persona system of just a billion strengths and weaknesses and the sheer number of fusion possibilities. You start fusing things based on a couple of criteria, and it's usually how much is it immune to, and what are are its skills. Those tend to be what it boils down to. Well, and sometimes it's just like, you know what, I keep hanging out with this guy, so who's going to get me the most bonus levels? Yeah, because the nice thing is that, like, every persona will have like, you know, some skills that it starts with and some that doesn't. But hanging out with people causes your, like, S-Link related to each Arcana to go up. And when you have a high S-Link, your persona gains levels upon being fused. So once you've maxed out someone, they basically get all of their skills the second you fuse them. Yeah, it's pretty rad to drop a max level 4 right off the bat. Yeah, because, like, some of those later ones take a lot of level, a lot of XP to get all of their skills. So being able to get, just have all of their skills is really useful. Because you get, like, once you get into late game stuff, you get stuff that's really powerful that has skills that are really far out of reach. Like, I remember, uh, in order to access the secret dungeon at the very end of the game, in, I think, Fess and Beyond, you have to have killed the Reaper. And killing the Reaper below level 90 is a giant pain. But there was an exploit that revolved around having Odin, who knew its last skill, Thunder Rain. And that takes forever to just grind up. But if you have a maxed out Emperor Arcana, you can just fuse Odin and it will already know Thunder Rain. Yep, and that is the button I pushed to win things the whole <laughs> last half of the game. It's a... Uh... Wish I I wish I had that because I played through the played through the game on hard and the last yeah, half was pretty hard. That kept doing it anyway. No, it's all right. The last boss only took me about twenty tries. It's all good. Yeah. The, the last that last boss fight is like ninety minutes minimum. So clear an afternoon. Yeah, like if you re if you get to the special monad block, it's actually really easy to get yourself to level ninety nine. At which point the final boss takes like ten minutes. And then the game has super amazing, awesome music. Oh, man. That final boss theme. 
Oh. Oh. All, all of the themes, all of the times. <laughs> oh, man, there's so much, like, we mentioned it early on, but there's a lot of contemporary music that sounds amazingly hokey and fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> so, Shirji's Megaro's professional training, for the record, is in fluid dynamics and boat design. Very good ah, yes, those, those are, those are absolutely musical. <laughs> yeah, those are absolutely essential to a, music, a career in fusing, a fusion music. <laughs> I got the music in my soul. That's a Persona 4 song, anyway. Oh, yeah, that's, a, that's another great thing. The girl game in Persona 3 Portable is it has an entire, has a largely different soundtrack. Well, what else is like, he going to do with his time? <laughs> like, like, Persona 3 Portable Girls music, battle music is basically a sequel song to Mass Destruction. <laughs> And it's just as sublimely cheesy, I'm hoping? Oh, it's, it's wonderful. It's, it's incredible. The worst part about the Girl Game soundtrack is that uh, the... Like, the second semester theme just starts with someone screaming the word hypnotic like 15 times, and by the time that it's about to move into the actual song, you've already moved to another area, so it just starts over. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it, that, that's rough. Hypnotic. Guess it could be truth in advertising. That might be hypnotic in some way. No, it most just is. makes me want okay. to sound off. Right, so, so what's so what's this game usually priced at? Is it worth that? I mean, there's, it's, the, there's still digital versions. Yeah, the digital version is constantly on sale somewhere. <laughs> yeah, Atlas is always putting their digital games on sale. Also, so. what is this thing I see on Wiki about Persona Three, the movie being? He's into a three-movie saga. It yeah, says they, they four on Wiki. Four. Oh. Four movies? There is not enough plot here for four Persona movies. 3 the movie, number one, Spring of Birth. Persona 3 the movie, number two, Midsummer Night's Dream. Persona 3 the movie, number three, Falling Down. And Persona 3 the movie, number four, last episode. Oh, boy. Yeah. So I should point out so, that that's not... It's not Midsummer Night's Dream like the Shakespeare play. It's Midsummer Night, like a, in a medieval night. Like, with a K. Oh. Yeah. And for and these are available to buy from Aniplex, which means it costs too much damn money. Yeah, those are priced There's ridiculously. to merit this. You can, like, you can if buy you the... To, if you were to buy a physical copy of it, you would hurt and feel bad about the yeah. bonus features. You can buy the entire Persona 4 anime for probably less than one of those movies. Oh, yeah. I just like how the last movie, apparently, they're like, ah, that whole, like, season thing, ask her. <laughs> well, they ran out of seasons that correspond to the game, I guess. There was winter in the game-ish. Last episode. <laughs> last winter-sode. That's what it should have been titled. <laughs> well, let's see. I'm seeing that Persona 3 Portable usually goes in the $30 range. Worth I think it. it goes on sale fairly often. Though. I'm, I'm looking on eBay. Like, for, for a disc oh. copy, if you, you like you that sort of thing. It, it's, I'm seeing a lot of 30s. Ooh, Sealed Fez is like 16. Yeah, uh, Fez was like much more circulated than the original and was never uncommon. I think I spotted it at a future shop like two years ago. I think Atlas like did a bunch of reprints or something of a lot of those PS2 games because a lot of them yeah, just like, like suddenly like, dropped in price. 
Late in the PS2's life, Atlas reprinted a number of SMT games, and I think Fest got caught up in that, even though it wasn't even rare at the time. Yeah, yeah. I, I remember um, I had to really hunt down the two Devil Devil Summoner games, but yeah. uh, I picked uh, up what? the first run of Digital uh, of Devil Summoner two because I needed the Raiho plushie. Yeah, I did manage to get that, but eventually, like a year or two later, they were like all those PS2 games were twenty bucks on Amazon. Yeah. Um, yes. Uh, apparently, it's harder to find in Europe for the portable version physically, but again, it's digital. It's always on sale. Just wait a week. I, I pre-ordered the portable version just because I needed a Junpei half. Well, yeah. The portable, one, the portable one in Europe, you can just import a North American one. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's not, it's not even that hard. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah, th- this one is not unlike uh, the Yakuza backtrack where we had to really grind over, <laughs> over the price of Yakuza 2. Uh, this one, it's like, you know what? It, it's well worth the time. Like, unlike a lot of JRPGs where you kind of fall off, you, you fall into that middle period of you're just grinding and not really advancing the plot. You're just for at around hour 40 and then you lose track of it and never return to the game. This will actually keep you engaged throughout, and I think it also works well for sort of more episodic play than a lot of the RPG genre, where you can yeah, play it for yeah. half an hour and feel like you actually accomplished something. Yeah. I ju- I, it just needs better save points, really, <laughs> what it comes down to. Yeah, I is, think... that, is that fixed and portable? Are you Not really. Save anywhere? Uh, they added more, but it's still checkpoint-based, so you're probably just going to end up relying on taking the system over The thing is that the way the portable eight. works is actually, it's not checkpoint-based, because if you do go down to the bottom by finding, like, a warp back, you can still start from just wherever you happen to have been. But you can't just use a quick save. Yeah, there, there's uh, no, like... There's no quick save option, it's just it's much easier to find a checkpoint. There are more of them in the overworld and the dungeon makes it more accessible. And also, because it's on a portable, it's probably easier to suspend that than suspend a PS2. Yeah, turning, like, hitting sleep on a portable is pretty easy. Yeah. Is there a sleep button on the PS2? I've never known that. <laughs> there, well, you just turn your TV off and hope no one touches the console. Yeah, it's a, it's a little math. There is that, but if you, you know, if you want to go to bed or something, that disc spinning all night will probably annoy you. <laughs> anyway, but yeah, that's Persona. We had a lot to say. <laughs> Imagine that. Oh, and I think if Sam were here, she would want mandatory Mitsuru love. Is that fair to say, Scott? Uh, did we lose Scott? There's a problem with this call. Hold on while we... Okay, Skype. Fix it, Skype. (laughs) Hey, Ray. On behalf of Sam, I should say, Mitsuru is the hottest OMG. She is... Mitsuru is the best girl in the game. I I don't know. She's not a big thing for me, but... I'm very fond of redhead. I am too. That's the thing. I don't know. I guess I guess her sort of naive rich girl thing didn't do it for me. <laughs> what is a hamburger? Yeah, I'm like, who doesn't know that? Seriously, you don't. You, 
gonna go with, you're gonna go that route. Can't just fake it while you're eating. <laughs> Naive but intelligent, fine. Best girl in Persona 3. Well, it's because the other girls are Yukari and Fuka. <laughs> yeah. Hey, some of the non-party member girls are fine. Yuko's okay. Hey, you know, if you I, like I think, I think we're running dry. If yeah, you like... I, we're spinning down here. I'm just saying. It's <laughs> pretty great. Someone has to. Well, all right. We have just done a good number on Persona 3. We are going to... <laughs> We are now going to take a teeny tiny break, and we'll come back with the final plan. talk about what's on our mind, read your comments, tell you what's coming up, and as an extra bonus in this final lap, I tell you exactly why I just popped up out of nowhere. Uh, so I'm sure Mike probably mentioned earlier, but I was out of town when they were recording the Persona 3 podcast, and uh, and then this weekend I was trying to edit together, but we've run into a few technical difficulties with the original recording, so that's been a little delayed. Um, so it gave Mike and I a chance to get together and do the final lap properly Pro- yeah. yeah yeah so although and, if you want to say that you have a time traveling phone booth available you, you might not want to squelch people like that <laughs> and as an extra bonus i get to tell you all that i like persona three. go out and play it <laughs> did we talk about which one did y'all talk about did you talk about the golden version or the psp version or the we t- original 
We talked about the original, the FES version, which honestly wasn't that different, and the and the portable one. Oh, that's right, because it's Persona Four Golden on the Vita, not Persona Hello. Uh, so yeah, my uh, I don't, play... don't you start talking about Persona Four now. That'll drag us out to that'll that'll just be wrong. I will yeah. tell you, yeah, we'll tell you that uh, that I played uh, at least a dozen, if not two, of of regular good old fashioned Persona on the PlayStation Two, and. Surely my wife must have played at least three to four dozen hours on the PSP. And the PSP uh, version was was pretty well done. I understand that it's lacking from what I understand some of the voice. I'm sure you all already described in excruciating detail the variances between the various versions. But, uh, uh, yeah, she she enjoyed it a lot and um, may go back to finish it one day. Unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on how you look at it, she got a new 3DS and has been playing Story of Seasons nonstop ever since. She highly recommends Story of Seasons to anybody and everybody who thinks they used to like Harvest Moon. Because now she doesn't like Harvest Moon anymore. Or Rune Factory. Because all she plays is Story of Seasons. This is this will be revelatory to all three people who listen to the backtrack and have no idea of the legal shenanigans that have taken place in the Harvest Moon universe. Yeah, we discussed it like a show or two ago, right? I want to say yes. Even if we didn't, though, it's out there. It's out there. You... Story of Seasons is Harvest Moon in everything but name. Yeah. And the actual Harvest Moon was made by a completely a team that had no Harvest Moon experience. And apparently it shows at the seams a little bit. Yep. So you can just Google that guy up to find out information. But, uh, anywho, uh, yes, just uh, can't recommend uh, Persona 3 enough to uh, friends of the JRPG subgenre who uh, especially like to see something a little bit outside the box. Uh, and it's definitely a huge improvement over its predecessors. Because <laughs> we've had RPG backtracks on Persona 1 and 2. We have. Yeah. Well, let's they, see. They require a fair amount more dedication. Mm-hmm. Yes, they do. You better, you better, you are hardcore if you got through those two guys. Or is it three of them? Because this really isn't there. It's like two Persona 2s or something. Yeah. Hmm. Anywho, uh, let's see. We like to reach a comments. And our last show, episode 142, you now have 12 hours. We talked about, ah, uh, Yakuza. The first two Yakuza, yes. Yakuza. And let's see here. Uh, Boudet says that he is super excited because to listen to this because it's a series he read about but never played. Yep. And then we started talking about this other podcast, that RPG cast. Yeah. No, that, that that is not the Chris of RPG cast. That is the Chris who was on our on the Yakuza episode. Remember? Oh, that oh okay, right, right, right. Okay, got it. Okay, I was about to say, yeah, we, we shouldn't give any kudos to those guys, even yeah. though you sometimes show up there. <laughs> yeah, even though I, I need to do that again. I just need to make a guest appearance out of nowhere. I'm like that. I'm like Brock Lesnar. I'm just like that heavyweight guy that just shows up once in a while, <laughs> makes a big impact, and then I disappear for another funds. That's a great ref- ref- re- wrestling reference for those of you wrestling. Um, Victor says, glad to hear you're back on Dragon Quest Six, And, uh, yeah, right now, so my progress with that is, uh, since I, I mentioned, I think, last show that I've picked back up that banner. Yeah, because Victor is making a comment. Hello. Um, since <laughs> <laughs> that emergency that took me out of town also uh, took away uh, – 
significant chunk of my potential gaming time uh, between being out of town dealing with the emergency and then coming back and trying to catch up all of the chores and errands and work that I missed out. My job is nature is such to where when I leave for a week, regardless of the reason, half of my work gets done by somebody else. The other half weighs patiently in a pile for me to come back and I have to do it on the weekend. So, uh, anywho, uh, I haven't Aww, got... Yeah, so I haven't got and, I, and you drove instead of flying, so you got no gaming time during the travel. I did actually play some Dragon Quest while I was on that stretch in Nevada. No, I'm just kidding. Um, anyway... <laughs> what, while you, were in, while you were inside of Vegas so that bookies could take bets on you? <laughs> That would have been cool, like hook up the DS to like a big screen. Remember, because in Dragon Quest Four, you could bet on monsters, uh, you know, battling in an arena, so they could battle on whether or not I could win the fights and have odds and stuff. I'll give you guys a clue: don't bet against me. Anywho, unless it's that one boss. Then, um, so my progress on that so far is I have been taking. I, you know, I've been getting back to the gym. I had like that week, week and a half off of the gym, but taking back to the gym and just doing some mindless grinding because, as I mentioned before, I'm looking at a fact, and in the fact. At the point where I'm at the game, the guy's saying, okay, you need to go to this XYZ location or dungeon next. And by the way, when I went there, my characters were level 35. So and I'm looking at. What level yours? They're like 27. Ah. So I figured that some uh, grindy grindy was in order. Uh, I didn't want to tempt fates and get all frustrated. Not to mention I could use the extra uh, class points. So uh, I'm under the ocean where I had read in a fact a while back that. In the ocean, the encounters there always give you uh, class job points, whatever the hell they're called. That was my experience. Yeah, because as we, as you might remember, way back ago when I was playing this on the backtrack, I mentioned that the funny thing about class points is if you go against enemies that the game deems is too weak for you, you don't get any. But since there's not like a number in the status screen going up and down, the only way to know would be to fight that random encounter in that area, then go all the way back to your base uh the all trades town where there's a person there who tells you exactly you know wh- how, how many, many class- fights you have less yeah. to left to advance in your class right so it's a bit of a tedious process it's it's a bit opaque which is a little frustrating but since i know the ocean is pretty much from the faq i read no matter what level you are the ocean's going to give you points. so it will it that's what so, i'm doing so just just cruise around in the submarine man hey you know and uh, i'm finding some cool this- uh yeah, hey, yeah. good stuff under there. In the yellow submarine that is shaped an awful lot like a ship. <laughs> uh, but yeah, there's some cool stuff down there. I've ran into I ran to this one underwater temple, wisely used the exploitable quick save option, which if you guys don't know that you can quick save and reload it, but unlike most quick save systems, when you reload the Dragon Quest quick loads, uh, it doesn't delete them. In most other games, the whole point of a quick save quick load is that you know it's not permanent so uh but but dragon well quest considering dragon quest still has the go talk to the to somebody in town the priest to save to do a real save yeah that's kind of handy yeah to have that that quick save option well yeah but what's even more handy is the fact that when you reload it it doesn't delete it so you can reload it again right. and again and again and so went into water temple and underwater temple saved it and sure enough the guys there completely and utterly kicked my ass which is one of the frustrating aspects of old jrpg design it gives you this feeling that it's open world but then it punishes you when you actually explore (laughs) i mean this goes all the way back to final fantasy one once you repair the bridge if you weren't ready yet you got your ass kicked so anywho i digress um he says the dragon class is, is broken overpowered, so I will uh, probably even stronger than the hero class. Well, I definitely plan to get the hero class. I'm 
I've got my hero. I think I'm on the last subclass he needs to qualify for hero class. I think it's the ranger or the animal handler, whatever the hell it's called. And uh, and then he once he maxes out this one, I believe he should be ready for class. So um, I'll have to look up dragon class though and see if I got somebody who can do that. You got got a comment for me for tech side there, uh, Mike? Ah, uh, tech side. Whoa, the guy who runs MAHQ. That takes me back. Would you say you could start with Yakuza 2 without much trouble? It sounds like the better of the first two. And he's also glad to hear you're back with Dragon Quest VI, Phil. Hey, I got this uh, small Dragon Quest following. Uh, uh, having started with Yakuza 1, I can say that since it is cheap and I had fun with it, you might as well give that a shot. It's Yeah, it's not a great game. I just put up a red Indian. <laughs> but, <clears throat> but there is something viscerally satisfying about just grabbing guys and slamming their heads into the curb. There, that will always be satisfying, and if you disagree, then we are never going to agree on this point, so don't bother trying to change my mind. I know what's fun. Yes, there are load times. Yes, the camera sucks. Yes, the dub is terrible for the most part, and it feels more like a literary plot than a video game plot in that there are lots of characters you'll tr- be struggling to keep straight, but Yakuza 1 is not a bad game. It's just, and especially if you're just starting with the series, it's probably best to start with this one so that you can watch it improve. Because it's there. I've said my piece. Um, yeah. So I definitely I I second the motion. Company of Mike's retro review. Find what. Uh, let's see here. Um, there was a little bit back and forth that was a little interesting to read because <laughs> I think somebody might have been typing from their cell phone but um, uh, Boudet says I'm playing Monster Hunter 4 at the moment but I'm about to buy the games in the series really all together they are no more than a newly released game $9 so I see it as a bargain I don't have really is he thinking of Yakuza series because Yakuza 2 is not going to run you $59 unless you get super lucky <laughs> How, how much was that one running? That was the one, remember, we looked up and it was, if you want a nice copy in good condition, you may be getting close to triple digits there. Oh, wow. Maybe he meant $59. Oh, that's right. We I remember that now. It's been a few weeks, guys. We're, like, recording this, like, four weeks after the fact. Um, yeah, he, uh, yeah, I mean, I guess if you averaged them out, they, I think that's what we discussed, right? If you, if you buy them all and you average out the price, it averages less than, you know, $50 each or something like that. But that one game in and of itself uh, was pretty expensive. So it depends on how you, you look at it. Um but, uh, you know, Scott, uh, he, uh, A.K. Falsorsis, makes a, a great point in saying, um, but uh, price factor is a debatable point in quality. Is Lightning Returns worth your time is a far more relevant question than 10 versus $6. 60 $60. $60. Yes, price is highly debatable because certain games that are extremely rare and command enormous sums are almost certainly not worth the amount that you would pay for them as games. Phil, we both watched The Nerd, right? Mm-hmm. Remember his Atari porn episode? Mm-hmm. Almost all of those games are extremely rare, like Custer's Revenge. That goes for several hundred dollars now. Mm-hmm. Would you pay that to play that game? Mm-mm. <laughs> Or let's take a more recent example. Remember when we looked up the price of Secret of the Stars, Phil? Mm-hmm. Was that worth the price, people ask? In the words of a great famous wrestler, Hell no! 
So now, no, I'll, price and quality do not correlate necessarily. They don't, they don't correlate. And now, you know, I think, uh, and I know this is a little topical. It's probably a great conversation for the active topical banter, but my two cents when it comes to, you know, money versus quality is I personally do kind of weigh them on a scale somewhat because both my money is valuable, but my time is valuable, but uh, but also my collection has value to me because I'm a game collector and I have games. So you're going to buy Secret of the Stars to flesh out your Super Nintendo collection? Well, that's a that's a great question, uh, but I think I'd rather use a game that's actually enjoyable for as a for example. Uh, so okay. Are you going to buy Evo, the search for Eden, to flesh out your Super Nintendo collection? For the love Okay, stop it. Bad, Mike. Bad. No, uh, Evo, the search, of Eden, the search for Eden is supposed to be a pretty decent game. Well, I, is I it worth the a... prices that they command? No, no, no. I weigh the three. And here's a, another good example is I'm a huge fan of the Heroes of Magic series. So for me as a collector, I want every game in the series, even if they're not super great. Heroes of Magic has its own version of Lightning Returns. And, and um, uh, uh, so there was Wait, these. Are, are we weighing Lightning Returns on the Final Fantasy series as a whole scale, or on the you Final Fantasy it, Thirteen subsidiary? You know what? That was a bad example. Okay, it has its own. You said Evo was kind of good. Was it really good, or was it kind of good? I honestly don't know because it's so rare now, and I never played it. What about Secret of the Stars? How well is that? Like on a scale of one to five? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> I haven't been drinking the vodka tonight. I was just kidding about that. Okay, okay, okay. All right. I so, might as well ask you how much From the Abyss is worth. So, so there was a series of uh, there were these series of. Uh, low production games they released uh, they were kind of like side stories in the Heroes of Might and Magic 3 series Heroes of Might and Magic 3 is generally considered the best part of the series uh, it's the best game in the series uh, these discs which had individual storyline chapters on them well they originally released for like $10 each and at the time I didn't I didn't have the time to pick or I didn't have the money to pick them up so fast forward years later when I have a little more money I get a full time job and I'm collect. I'm in full on collector mode, and I've got every other game in the series except for those discs. So I really, really want them to finish up my collection because my collection is valuable to me. Well, I go and look at them up, and they were like fifty to eighty dollars each for each chapter. There's eight chapters, Mike, because the discs were the discs were in a very, very limited uh, print 50, run. Okay, fifty to eighty dollars each, eight mm-hmm. chapters. Yep. So you're looking at between four and. $650. Right. Right. Now, I have that much in savings, but I'm not going to pull out even to complete my collection, even though I want it really bad, even though I generally consider it a pretty good quality game and I'm a collector and all that other fun stuff. Uh, even though I had the money available, I'm not going to, you know, for me that, 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 that doesn't trade off. Now, later on, GOG got a hold of it. Praise the GOG gods. Uh, I'll be talking more about them a little bit later, but they released, they released all, get this, all eight chapters for $10. No. $10 each or $10 total? Total total for all eight. Mm, Mm, That's a pretty tough choice. Pretty Mm -hmm. tough choice. So I immediately went and of course, immediately grabbed them. I didn't even wait for them to go on sale because inevitably the, it's like steam. It goes on sale. No, that's more than a fair price for that. Immediately completes my, that part of my collection. So without hesitation, plop down the 10 bucks, download it. And of course with GOG, you can just burn that to a disc if you want a hard copy because it's, it's not, they're, they're DRM free files. Uh, and now I sleep easy at night knowing that my Heroes of Might and Magic collection 
is totally complete. So yeah, for me, I do kind of weigh the time versus the uh, versus the uh, the quality and you know how the perceived value. But it's also another factor for me is whether or not it completes my collections. And uh, the Super Nintendo would be really for Evo would be a really tough question for me because I don't really am not building a Super Nintendo. So <laughs> what? Yeah, you're you're not gonna get. Noah's Ark 3D to complete your Super Nintendo collection? No, but, you know, I actually played that, and I have no desire to go back to it again. So the nerd was correct. It is as every bit as bad as it looks. It is a Doom ripoff clone where you use a slingshot to knock the brains out of defenseless sheep no, no, no. and goats. You're not knocking their brains out. You're shooting food at them to put them to sleep. I was trying. Uh, you know, you think of it in your way. I think about it in the way that got me through the first few boards, because I need some violence in my games, and they were trying to make that non-violent. So, even yeah. though the animals were trying to kill you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that was that was really a dark time. And those, the, I mean, I, I know this is a tangent, but those blue discs that they used to sell on the Nintendo with the Babel Adventures and stuff, you just knew that those were craptastic. You didn't even have to put them into your Nintendo. They were blue. They didn't even have the Nintendo seal of quality of approval. To put this in perspective, X-Men on the Nintendo, a really, really crappy-ass game, had the Nintendo seal of approval. So you figure if a game did not qualify for the seal of approval, it must be pretty damn bad. So, yeah, those blue games were just, were just, oh, yeah, those Bible adventure games and things like that. No, I didn't even, no. It was only curiosity and the fact that uh, I, I forget how I got my hands on that Noah's Ark 3D and I had nothing better to do. And then I figured out after I stuck it in, I did have something better to do. Ask mom to go to the dentist, for example. <laughs> well, so. yeah, if you go to the dentist, then you get to you take care of something important. If you play the I, I forgot a, a key word of the title. Super Noah's Ark Super, 3D. yeah, because everything had to be super uh, back in the day. Just like on the DS, everything has to have the letters DS in it somehow. Uh, or, or on the N64, 64. 64, yeah. I really did think it was kind of funny how the Castlevania games on the DS, like Dawn of Sorrow, you know, just <laughs> integrated that DS in there some way, somehow, just about. Uh, let's see here. All right. So we'd love to hear your comments. You can, you can head over to forums.rpgamer.com and write your comments. We read a lot of them right here on the air. We answer your questions and more. We'll also, if you get your pen handy, we'll tell you a couple of other ways later on, on how you can uh, give us your feedback and your questions and the such. Let's see here. What else? What else? What else? Our next show, <laughs> which might go up before this one at the rate we're going, uh, our next show is going to be about Crystalis, right? Is that the one we're doing next? Assuming we can get everybody together, I gather there are a lot of uh, behind-the-scenes issues here. So it may actually be Deus Ex that comes next. Mm. So something's coming. Something <laughs> yes. is coming, and it's coming Absolutely. soon. Absolutely. <laughs> Uh, right, right. Awesome stuff. Mm. Well, Mr. Mike, what, what have you been doing? Anything you want to share with the, with the people? I hear you've been, uh, been watching some movies lately too. Something about people going mad. There's this thing called Mad Max Fury Road. And if you haven't seen it yet and you had any liking whatsoever for previous Mad Max movies, or you just want to see what a summer movie can be instead of, a brainless pile of garbage like so much we get now see this just see it you will get to see the majesty of completely outlandish and yet absolutely fitting within the mad max universe vehicles going mad 
many, many crazy stunts. Yes, stunts, not done with computers, stunts. And a movie that manages to most assuredly hold your interest the whole way through by being a nonstop thrill ride. That's what Mad Max Fury Road It rocks. Rather literally, there's actually a guitarist in front of a car, in front of a vehicle with flames shooting out. Ooh, that sounds fun. The back of the vehicle has a bunch of guys pounding on kettle drums. <laughs> and an entire horn section. Jeez. Oh, well, there, there don't appear to be any players, just horns attached to the vehicle that go on their own somehow. Nice. So it, it rocks. Just believe me. Go see it. Go see it. Do unless it. You do, unless you have no liking for action movies whatsoever, in which case, uh, well, I'm sorry for your jaded, jaded heart. Hmm. Yeah, sad face. I guess I can talk about a couple other movies if you want. Go right ahead, Mr. Mike. Because, you know, since we're doing this like three or four days after the fact, <laughs> or months or weeks or whatever, those <laughs> other guys aren't even on here. Ha ha. Well, it's I saw a- the remake of Poltergeist. They remade Poltergeist? Yeah, it's out in the theater right now. And you know what? I like it better than the original Poltergeist. Because I've always hated the original Poltergeist. You know, I, I watched the original one when I was pretty young, and it was kind of spooky scary. That may be my problem. I didn't see the whole thing until I was about 25. And mm. I kept going, especially at the conclusion, every member of this family is a complete and utter moron. They deserve this. And no, they don't get... They just get scared. They don't get what really should happen to such wastes of redundant protoplasm. Uh, this one, I admit, is not perfect by any stretch. There are a few too many attempts at jump scares, but merely by not having them get the little girl out of the, the nether world and then act as if everything's fine, as if somehow the house is no longer going to attack them and get ready for bed, and then, whammo, come the big scares at the end. It gets my thumbs up for that. By, by fixing that horrible, horrible idiocy that the original had. And it's very interesting to see static. Remember Analog Static, Phil? Oh, yeah! On an HD TV and at a modern cell phone. That's interesting. Hmm. Uh, what else? Hmm. Oh, yeah, and I saw Tomorrowland. Tomorrowland. Oh, yeah, that that's, uh... Oh, yeah, yeah. We're kind of seeing the preview. It's good. I wouldn't say it's great because the ending is... A little lackluster after what came before, but it's one wild ride for them, and it's very well done for the most part. And I'll have to remember Britt Robertson's name because prior to seeing this movie, I kept going, "Oh, she's that girl who was in that that Nicholas Sparks movie earlier this year," which I didn't see because I haven't seen a Nicholas Sparks movie, and I have no great desire to yet. But she quits herself very well alongside George Clooney here. Mm. She deserves kudos. And okay, let's see. I got that review of Avernum Two up. Oh, really? I missed that. Did I miss that? Or did I just forget that I missed it? <laughs> or did I forget that I really did... read it, but I didn't miss it? I have no idea. What the heck are we going on about now? <laughs> I, I'm it's, like... It's still, it's still there on the side index under latest reviews. You can check it out. Is, is it? Oh, because I was just looking at the pictures under latest features, because pictures are pretty, and I didn't oh, see it I there. Do. I don't know what happened there. Okay. It, Look for the words of Vernum 2 Crystal Souls under latest reviews. You'll find it. And you actually beat the whole thing? That well, is... I beat, I, it's, it told me, here are three game-winning quests. I beat all three of them. And then it gave me, it didn't really give me credits, but it gave me a few ending screens and said, at, after those, you may continue into the world of Avernum and who knows what else you might find. Now, so, were you playing the, the super new updated version? Because uh, I don't know if you just pulled uh, are these screenshots your screenshots or are they stock screenshots? I didn't pull them. 
Okay, so that is not my party, but it's close enough. Oh, okay. So, uh, but did you? So, did you play the, the like the newer one, the one called Crystal Souls or whatever? Or are you playing yes, like? I did. An, uh, okay, I was about to say it does look. It, it definitely looks nicer, you know, graphically than the one I've been playing. But not much. It's not like a huge revolution, but you can certainly tell <laughs> it, it's also allowing more of the game on the screen at once because it's allowing it to run at a higher resolution. Yeah, and having that amount of screen is good since you have to constantly click your mouse all over the place to move anything. That that can get annoying. I mean, if, if you don't want a PC interface, and this is a very, very PC interface, then you're probably not going to like this too much. Do, do you feel like... Uh, so, for those of you who, who did maybe missed one or two of the other backtracks where we've discussed the Avernum series, and so a little groundwork here, the, these guys uh, the, uh, is made by Spiderweb Software, a uh, one-man team, <laughs> well, sometimes up to three people, uh, that, that <laughs> creates these very deep, old-school old Ultima type of uh, RPGs that have lots of NPCs to talk to, lots of items you can pick up. You can pick up forks, you can pick up spoons, uh, huge inventories to manage. Yes, um, you can pick up rocks, you can pick up yep. broken twigs, you can... Mushrooms. And you can eat the mushrooms. You can eat the mushrooms, yep. Uh, and you have to look very closely for those blocks that are slightly different from the rest in order to push them, in order to reveal all the secret passages that are everywhere. Because if you don't find any of those, then, uh, well, in some spots, it's really going to hurt you. So did you, did you uh, in playing this, because, I mean, in these worlds, we can't emphasize this enough, boys and girls. The, the, for, especially it's a for, big game. Yeah, and I mean, it's a wonder when you realize one, you know, one to three people put this stuff together. Uh, it, it's just uh, absolutely amazing. The, um, uh, did, you, did, did, you, did you find, though, with the old school approach that they're using here, that you needed to rely on a fact to get through uh, the story? Was there, like, things that were so secretly hidden you couldn't figure them out there were some quests that i had trouble with i don't know if i would have had trouble with just streamlining through but i kind of liked exploring everywhere and since there is no technical fact for it i had to look on the spider web software forums where helpful questions have been answered and eventually if i hadn't done that i probably would have never learned that there's a way to get your boat back up from you go through a series of waterfalls and it looks like you're stranded with the boat and there's a limit of three boats that you can buy. So I bought all three of them and they all got stranded down there and I thought, oh crap, I'm out of boats. I'm never going to be able to get back in there again. But there's a waterfall where it will automatically just go up the falls because there's some some way to pull it up there. And I found that from the fact. Otherwise I would have gone, well, I, there are a couple of quests in that area, but I can't get back there anymore. <laughs> Did, did you feel uh, so? You know, spiderweb software games are usually uh, because of their limited budgets and constraints, uh, and partly because they're paying homage to the uh, the older school games. They're isometric. They're not a lot of eye candy here. Uh, they're they're small sprites and stuff when you're in combat and, and what have you. Did you find that? Uh, did you find that the the story itself and the text it, was that well written? I did for the most part. It doesn't necessarily help if the text is describing this grandiose, ornate building and what you're seeing on screen is a slightly larger version of all the other buildings that you've been seeing the whole game through. Mm -hmm. But the text was very good. Did you like the story? I did. Uh, I won't, we won't uh, we won't spoil this, even though it's like a probably like an, a 22-year-old game at this point that's been re oh, come on. It, reported like three times. No, because you'll spoil I think it, it only for goes me. Back about, I think it only goes back about 14 years. Yeah, okay. So, but it looks like it's 20. Anyway, so... 
<laughs> so, no, it only looks like it's seventeen years old. How how uh, how deep was the character customization and the combat? Nothing you for customization. Nothing you've never seen before, but mm. deep enough. When you get a level, uh, you go into the menu for that character. You get to increase one of your four core core stats. Then you get to pick two perks, and there are a bunch of perks. You know. Uh, dual wielding, um, better with pole weapons, better with swords, better with ranged weapons. Or if you're a mage, then you might want to bump up that priest and mage spellcraft, because otherwise you're never going to be able to learn some of the spells in the game. Mm. Uh, and every other level or so, you get to choose, um, well, I hate calling it that earlier section perks because these are also perks, you know, the stuff where you can carry more, you can get better prices when you sell stuff, you get extra strength every level, that, that kind of stuff. And it does, you do have to pay attention to this, because after level 30, you stop getting those every level. You, It's only every five levels after that, and it takes a while to go up each level by that point in the game. So if you don't plan, if you just haphazardly strew your points all over the place, then you're probably not going to be very effective, and you're, you might have cause to regret it. Um... And as for actually learning the spells and some of the combat abilities, there are people around the game world who will teach those to you, usually for a price. Yeah, you know, I was thinking that, I mean, one of the things about the old school games, in fact, I'm, uh, I'll talk a little bit more about one in a minute here, but is, yeah, if you, if you when these games have, like, points you can put skills into, sometimes you'd have buyer's remorse, but a lot of those old school games don't have respec options. So, and then you, you find out you either got to start the game over again because, I mean, sometimes you can handicap yourself so, to the point where you, you can't even, you know, be have a reasonable chance of getting through boss encounters. So, you, do you kind of feel like you could pigeonhole yourself like that here? Mm, I never really had that impression, but then again, I wasn't playing it on the hardest difficulty, what they call that nightmare, I think. Oh, and, yeah. of course, if you're stupid enough to play that right. as your first on your first playthrough, then you probably deserve you whatever you get. You deserve what you get. Yeah, sure. No, I, I agree. Um, and you can respect the difficulty at any time. It constantly tells you that in loading screens. So if you are having too much trouble, then that is a, a means of helping you out in tough spots. I don't remember right now if I was able to respect at any point, but I think... Uh, I don't remember that being an I, option. But I, I mean, want to say that... I, I, with the older games or with the older versions that I've been playing, I, I want to say that there was an option to actually go in and edit the characters, like from the main menu, uh, which would be completely cheating. And if there wasn't, it probably would be hard to get into the fight. <laughs> but maybe I just remember that. Hmm. I never uh, tried it. No, no, me I just, uh, I, I don't think I did either. I just, uh, I really try to get through games on their own terms. Uh, that's part of the satisfaction for me. But hmm. now here's a great question. Now you you played the first one, right? No, I didn't. Oh, you didn't play the first. Well, how come? Why did you jump right into the second one? Because Matt gave me a review code for it. Oh, well, that's a good reason. Okay, <laughs> all right. So you made it through the second one, which uh, which uh, you know I guess is, is uh, yeah. The storylines aren't so connected to where you have to play them, you know, or no, you feel like I, you're missing caught, out a whole bunch, right? I, I caught several references to the first one that were pretty unmistakable, but. The first one was a different story set years before about a different group of adventures. You you don't really need to know more than that. There were these legendary people back in that earlier decade who did all these wonderful things. And here, if you look around, you can see a few signs of it. That's pretty much it. Do Okay, so now that you've played one and you played it all the way through, 
took you a bunch of hours, I imagine. Do uh, do you want to do another one? I would prefer to take a little break, but yeah, I would be willing to in the future. Okay. Well, I think that's all the questions I can uh, can think of. Uh, and you found and you found the combat pretty satisfying, I take it. Yeah, it's it's kind of like uh, I don't, it almost reminds me of Fallout Two in a little bit, where you you move around a grid, so the enemies. Uh, Abilities have different ranges of effect, that kind of stuff. Uh, the difficulty is all over the place because if you wander into an area that you could have gone into much, much earlier in the game, then you're going to fight complete joke enemies for a while, but that just comes with the territory. Uh, there's also a good enough variety of enemies for the most part that I don't want to say you'll never get bored because the small size of the development team does occasionally poke out in oh, here's yet another group of, of idiotic Imperials I'm going to have to slaughter, but I, I didn't have any complaints about the combat, really, except that you have to be very careful of where you're clicking the mouse, because there's it'll immediately take effect on screen, and if you manage to click the wrong square instead of an enemy, then you might just waste your turn by moving instead of using an attack, but that's, uh, yeah. that's the worst I can say, really. Um, uh, let me think. Yeah, alright, cool. Um, yeah, well, I can't think of anything else. We talked, and we talked, to, you know, and I talked about, it. Well, I won't, I won't rehash it here because it was just a show or two ago. I recall um, talking a bit about the differences between some of the different uh, versions. So you might want to go back and listen to that if you want to know more. Or you can hit us up on the We'll be happy to answer any further questions you guys may have. Uh, what else? Have you been playing, playing anything else, Mike? I've been playing Deus Ex, but I don't feel like I should talk about that until the show where we talk about Dave Sex. Right. And then I have this review code for something called Lord of Magna, Maiden Heaven. Ooh, what the it's hell a, is that? It's a pun, Phil. Not three words for Maiden Heaven, but two words. Maiden Heaven. Ooh, okay, now you got my interest. Uh, sure. <laughs> because well, the... <laughs> well the, the visual style has already... It, it is not earning my approval, because you will see... The artwork of the characters, which is your standard anime artwork-ish style, and then you will see their sprites on the screen at the same time, and their sprites appear to have heads that encompass about 75% of their body mass. There's a Uh, disconnect here. uh, I keep wondering why these gargantuan heads don't drag these people down and force them to stop moving. This design choice does not work for me. does not work. (laughs) I see you there. Your head is standard-sized in the artwork where you're talking to me. And there's your figure on screen with a head that appears to weigh 100 pounds. You should you are a gross freak of nature. What is wrong with you? And, okay. I, I have gotten to the point where it's, slight, and it's starting to get slightly more interesting. So, given that I'm still fairly early, I can't make any f- firm judgments yet. I can say that the early going, in which we learn that this, that our lead is the proprietor of an inn that has apparently never had a customer or has not had a customer in decades and is in an earthquake-prone region. I mean earthquake-prone. It seems to have an earthquake every day. I am not buying this premise. Just think about it, Phil. You work at a hotel. Mm-hmm. What would that hotel be like if it had no guests? Well, it would be a very short employment period. <laughs> Also, if Utah, was, if Salt Lake City was in the middle of a fault line and got constant earthquakes, even if it did have guests, would anyone want to go there? 
No, that's generally a guest dissatisfier. <laughs> also, this inn is located outside of town, and we learned that maybe the reason it's not getting any guests is because the mayor of this town is fulfilling the drastically isolationist policies of his forebears, which seem to be that all visitors need to get the hell out of town at night. No one stays here overnight. Ooh. That is hardcore. Sounds like it. As for combat, combat was kind of boring to start. Now it's sl- getting slightly more interesting. It it honestly reminds me of Shining Force Feather a little bit, but that's but it's not as good as Shining Force Feather. You mm. got the the circular range in which you can move instead of grid based, and you've got huge quantities of bad guys to kill. And I'm trying to remember any other game where there's a clear leader of enemy groups, and that leader is the only one with any kind of threat. But there's no real point to it because the leaders tend to have all right, here, here's your leader. It's got 700 HP. Here are its dozen or so followers around. They have 15 HP each. Are they any kind of threat? No. Hmm. And you and you get to do area attacks, so you have to try and target the largest area possible, and you'll hit everything in that span. I, I don't know, a slightly simplified and not as good version of Shining Force Feather is what I'm going with for right now, but that may change in the near future. Uh, I think that covers everything in mind right now. Well, let's see here. I've been, I've been, okay, okay. So I haven't had a whole lot of time to play Dragon Quest, but I have been a little busy. This was actually, I got most of this done right before uh, my little emergency came up. But, um, um, but anyways, uh, so I got, I got a, uh, I got a game, uh, speaking of max ending review copies and stuff for the Vita. Uh, oh yeah. yeah yeah and uh it's it's a pretty interesting one um it's uh, it's uh, operation abyss uh, new tokyo legacy i have to remember everything it's called um but um uh, it, it's it's a dungeon crawler that's definitely in the vein of the old wizardry games uh and 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 after those class of heroes which kind of took up that gauntlet of grueling dungeon crawlers i think it's really interesting because uh i mean and i mentioned this uh, in my write-up on the site but i i played um uh wizardry 8 and that was kind of like the swan song you know of the wizardry games it was the last one made by that uh, that particular company and uh, i really really enjoyed the hell out of that i mean they really did a great job of taking a lot of the old concepts but combining it with some new ideas and it worked really really well and it got a lot of praise across the board um it was just a lot of fun well then we went for six years almost without really any significant dungeon crawling rpgs and then we started getting games like class of heroes and there was like one or two wizardries on the playstation like two or something like that they were but we started getting classic <laughs> heroes and we got etrian odyssey games and they just started coming out at like every six months or so it was really really cool it was like a renaissance the only the only disappointment was they didn't remember one of the one of the things i often say about remakes is what makes a really cool remake is when you take an old idea and you infuse it with some new ideas but you keep the spirit of the old idea you know the old meets the new that's what wizardry 8 did uh, unfortunately, I, I think Adrian uh, Odyssey does bring the touch, uh, the touch screen mechanic because you're drawing the map on the bottom screen, which is really really cool. 
But a lot of the other ones, like Classic Heroes and stuff, they they, they just kind of rehash the old wizardry formula, different setting. It's a school instead of you know a town and stuff, but uh, it, it was kind of like the same formula over again. Uh, Operation Abyss, New Tokyo Legacy, it doesn't have Classic Heroes in the title or wizardry in the title, but I swear you feel like you're playing wizardry 6 or 7. Uh, <laughs> it uses... Actually, I might be going back to five. It uses like uh, it uses uh, what's it called the Vanekin spell casting system, the one that you see in Final Fantasy One, where you have so many spells you can cast yeah, the, for the, each. The charges for each level of spell. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's got that guy. It's that old school. Uh, well, it, we know another game that had that. Uh, that. That one we both got to play. Yeah, that one. Oh my. <laughs> um, but it's um. Uh, it, 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 it is set in Tokyo, so that's a different setting at least. But once you get into the dungeon stuff, you're, you'll feel right back at home. This is this is kind of what you're kind of used to. Now, it's from the makers of Demon Gaze, but it, it's based off of the uh, – I forget exactly what they're called. I had to cut and paste the title. I guess I could actually just pull up the article I wrote. Um, but it's, uh, it's based off of uh, some PlayStation 2 dungeon crawlers that the same company had made back in the day. My whole point being – is that Demon Gaze is later on. This game is before. So this game lacks some of the newer things that Demon Gaze brought to the table. Um, but it's it's got a couple of nice things, too, that Demon Gaze has. For example, once you've uh, mapped out a dungeon, you can go to the map screen and say, I want my party to be over here. And it will auto-navigate the party to that location. So that's cool. Do, do, you, do you have to deal with anything on the way? Like, is it yeah, if there's map. random encounters on the way or something like that. It, it, now, this has to be places you've explored before, so chances are you've right. already unlocked doors. But random encounters on the way will still happen. And monster points will respawn sometimes, so you have to deal with those. Yay! Yay, monster points. Um, and yeah, the, the visuals, um, they, they, they are pretty sharp, but they're not quite as sharp as Demon Gaze. Um, the, it, it does have less... <laughs> Speaking of uh, girls and stuff, it has less fan service than Demon Gaze as well. I didn't put that in my yeah fan service in quotation marks. Um, oh, it's based off the Z- Generation XTH, like tenth uh, games. So there was a series of of these dungeon crawling RPGs. They were like a a trilogy, and this this one is the first two. Now, I, I, this is just me doing an impression of the game. I played it for a dozen hours or so. I'm up to 15 hours now. So I don't know if it feels like two complete separate games. I, I wouldn't think so, but what do I know? Um, so anyways, check out my impression. It's on the website for some more details, and you can shoot me off questions on the forums if you would like to know more. It's supposed to be coming out. I think they've been pushing back the date a few times, but I think the latest date is about six weeks from this recording, which is like June second, I'm thinking somewhere mid July. So sounds right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, what else? Okay, so I've also managed to uh, be pleasantly surprised by the latest slew of releases on GOG. Oh my gosh! Just when I figured that these guys have pretty much have hit the bottom of the pile and there's nothing new they're bringing to the table, they just they just they just blow me away. First of all, well, not technically an RPG. <laughs> they've released a lot of the old Star Trek games, including uh, Star Trek 25th uh, 
25th anniversary edition. Now, I played this guy way back on the day on the NES, and it's kind of like a point-and-click adventure game, which in a way, those kind of feel more like RPGs than RPGs do sometimes. You go down, you make decisions. And they're also not suited for the NES controller at all. No, no, they're not. But this game kind of made it okay. I I mean, I was a kid back then. I'd play anything, especially with Star Trek in it. I remember enjoying, uh, enjoying it a lot. And uh, this is the PC version. Obviously, it's not the NES version, but uh, on GOG. And it also have they also have a second game that I never got to play, Star Trek Judgment Rights. So that's really they've also um, they've also got a couple. I think they got Starfleet Academy. So that's really really awesome. And then today or the yesterday they released Star Trek Starfleet Command Gold Edition which I still have on CD-ROM and play every now and then I think I have some compatibility problems with some versions but that one is based off of the tactical board game but it is it actually plays out in real time kind of like Baldur's Gate but since you're only in control of one ship it's a it's a lot easier to do you you actually sometimes can command but it's really really well done it really makes you feel like you're commanding the enterprise you can throw out shuttlecrafts uh space mines uh teleport security troops over to take over other ships you'll play through missions uh, it, it, it came out years ago. Uh, probably, uh, well, the date's right here, October 13, 2000. Uh, so we're talking early Polygon graphics, but they was done really well for its time. And they kind of, I won't say they really quote-unquote hold up today, but it's a lot easier than playing Final Fantasy VII on. So um, I really, it really is a game that makes you feel like you're you're in charge of the Enterprise. So little, little. Anyways, uh, so that's really cool. But on the role-playing front, oh my gosh, as if all of that wasn't enough, uh, they got Darksiders 1 and 2 uh, recently. Uh, and if you haven't played Darksiders 1 and 2, it is a basically kind of like the newer Zelda games, but with much grittier characters and a bit more action and slicing and dicing. So you want to check those out. But they still got like puzzle sling and the such. But if that wasn't enough, because I'm more <laughs> of a retro gamer, these guys got Dragon Wars. Dragon Wars. Now, if you know what I'm talking about, you really are old school. Dragon Wars was released back in January of 1990, uh, made by Interplay. And it is a dungeon crawler in the vein of, uh, well, just in the vein of like the Wizardry games. But it's even more old school than, well, Wizardry 6 or 7, obviously. It's more like Wizardry 3 or 2. Bard's Tale. Ooh, that far back. It is that far back. We're talking, you know, 4 to 16 colors. We're talking party members who you never see pictures of. You just see their... I, I think what was the cool thing was is is it would show you bars representing their hit points and and, and mana and stuff Ooh, bars instead of just giving you flat numbers it oh, did wow. it did dragon have, wars dragon wars came out on the nes yeah you know i, I and I, I i haven't played that one but i mean i played the pc version because we used to we used to make copies of it in school and play it when the teacher wasn't you know because uh, you could run off the disc and stuff and 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 they were bootleg copies so what happens you would get to some parts in these games and like the gold box games it would say go read paragraph 52 well i didn't have the instruction because it was bootleg so i couldn't read paragraph 52 now thanks to gog I can buy, you know, I can play the game again in a modern machine, and it works just fine. And you get a PDF of the manual and the clue book, so that really, really helps a lot uh, to actually understand what the hell's going on in the game. Uh, but very old school uh, dungeon crawler. It was definitely kind of one of those games where you got points to put in, like we were talking about before, and you get fifty to start out with, and you can put them into attributes and various skills. And I'm sitting here looking at the skill list, going, even today, I'm like, if I put it into swim, I'm really gonna need swim because my points are precious. 
you know, so, and you're reading the book and it kind of, if you read the instruction book and the hit books and stuff, it gives you some guidance uh, on that. So make sure you check out the collateral. But if you got the, this is a kind of a great way to stop bootleg or discourage bootlegging because if you just made a copy and, you, and back then we couldn't just make copies. We didn't have PDFs. We couldn't make copies of the books uh, cheaply. Um, if you just made a bootleg copy, chances are you didn't have the hints saying, really only need to put one point in the collateral. You know, until towards the game. Like, there was hints like that in there. guide you. Uh, but it's definitely old school. You have to use keyboard shortcuts. You can kind of use the mouse to get around. It does give you an option when you load up the game to use the mouse. Um, you can sort of, kind of, but you, you, you learn that it's much faster if you just learn the keyboard shortcuts. For the most part, a lot, well, in some of the commands, like the map, there's no UI element to bring up your map. You need to learn to press question. Uh, and that is in the quick reference book. I mean, this is a really, really old school. You get one save file by the uh, oh boy, old yeah, old, 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 old school. I'm sure you could probably go into those and make a backup cover of your save file. You know, so you could have different, originally the way the game was. Um, so you can check it out uh, if you like the old Dragon uh, Tales games. If you like the older Wizardry games. Um, if I, I, I will be honest, I'll never actually sit down and beat this game. But I had a kick. When this came out, and it was on a Saturday morning that I saw it, uh, and I'm just having my coffee in the morning going through my website, you know, websites I'd like to visit for, for gaming news. I saw this, I downloaded it, and I must have stuck like four hours into it. Just re- uh, those old school memories and uh, dying. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, anywho, uh, there's also another game. I don't know much about this one myself, but it's Serpent in the Staglands. And it's a newer release game, but the reason why I bring it up, aside from the fact that it's an RPG, it looks like from the screenshots in the description that the combat looks like a mixture of maybe Baldur's Gate and Diablo, maybe leaning more towards the Baldur's Gate formula. I see like character icons. The the graphics look low res, like it's trying to be an old school game. And maybe this is a point. Um, I haven't seen anything yet. I've been reading up on it as much as like... Um, but uh, it says uh, it says this is a very hard, unforgiving, old school, real time with pause, party based computer role playing game similar to Microprose's Darklands, released in 1992. Of course, by description, I would say Baldur's game because I didn't play very many pause and unpause uh, games before Baldur's. So, uh, but I knew they were a couple out there. Like this was oh, Darklands enough. Them, anyways, this is based off of those. But the graphics, I mean, they're clearly going for a retro vibe here. It's it's low res graphics, a freaking characters to chunk of the screen stuff. So, uh, it, uh, the reason I throw this out there, aside from the retro feel and stuff, is I wanted to know if anybody out there had played this. If you rushed out and bought it, it might have been a Kickstarter thing. So some of y'all might have this Kickstarter. But if anyone's played Serpent in the Staglands. Uh, I would be interested in your take, even if it's just a quick impression, first dozen. So that is, whew, that is, that is what I've been doing, Mike. Reading a lot of GOG. (laughs) Sure sounds that way. Love my GOG. Oh, and I think you'd be proud of me. I've been listening to In uh, the Book Ender's Game. Okay, games, games, Ender Game, game, game. Ender's Game. That's a classic, right? Yeah, I think so. Did did you, did you, did you, did you read the book or see the movie? I read the book when I was, I'm going to say 15 or so. Uh, as I understand, there's a movie. There is a movie. I haven't seen the movie yet. Uh, I would have seen the movie. I would have thought so too, but somehow I missed it. It, <laughs> it has Harrison Ford in it. That that makes it fun. <laughs> yeah. Um. All right. So, boy. I, rem- I remember the central twist of the book. I'm expecting it to be faithfully executed in the movie. Yeah. So, man, lots of cool retro news. Uh, lots of cool things going on. It's a great time to be an RP gamer. I just, I just keep saying that. I mean, just great games, especially. I mean, if you're into more of the retro gaming thing, whether it's old games like Dragon Wars coming back, it's newer games in those veins coming out. 
Um, boy, we even seen in, uh, you know, XCOM, you know, the new XCOM games that are out. I'm playing, uh, I was playing Codename Steam on the 3DS, which is, you know, inspired by those XCOM. Uh, uh, we got new Etrian Odyssey games coming out on the 3DS. We got, uh, I, I, I hear some rumors that uh, Bravely Second it might be coming out here. You know, we've talked about they're not they're not rumors anymore. They're not rumors. Okay, awesome. And and we know that. Uh, I mean, we've talked about bravely default and how awesome that is of a re- kind of a renaissance of Square Enix going back to the roots of a more classic uh, Final Fantasy, and they still got the new ones coming out of thing. Um, but for the rest of us, you know, yeah, aren't, aren't, isn't the entire Final Fantasy thirteen trilogy on Steam now? Yeah, that's out on. If yeah, yeah, that's out on Steam. So I mean, just just a really really awesome thing. There's no way on God's precious. Uh, that's why I stopped wearing all my games and just get myself as a collector now. It makes me sleep easier. All right, uh, Mike, anything uh, anything else before I read the official legally? No, I'm I'm tired. I need to sleep. Tonight. Then I need to remind you that RPG Backtrack is a gamer.com. You're home for news, reviews, and home to the best RPG community on the net. You can read all of our articles and reviews and all that other fun stuff, including some of that you just talked about, over at RPGamer.com. You can head over to our forums, share in the discussions. You can interact with Mike and I directly through Twitter. I am at JC Servant. He is at Jumason.com. That's S-Y-N there at the end. You can write to us. He is Albert Odyssey at Hotmail.com, and I am JC Servant at CyberlightCom. We would love to hear from you and read your questions on the air. If you're over at iTunes, do us a favor. Leave us a five-star review. Tell other people how awesome we are and how much much you love to hear us talk about retro RPs. Because we like our ego stoked. Hey, I'm just being straight honest with you. And, uh... (laughs) Boy, uh, and 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 you know what? If this isn't enough RPG goodness for you, hey, we've got other podcasts through uh, the iTunes, and you can download them. Gamer.com. We have- oh yeah, that's right. I was actually on the last episode of the Q and A Quest. Ooh, so we have the Q Q Q and A Quest where they answer your questions right there on there. They they answer other questions. We mostly just talk about retro games here. Uh, they're they're any question. Everything's fair game over as long as it's about rolling games or gaming. And uh, we've got uh, we've got the active topical band. Uh, where they just tear topics apart and we've got the RPG cast every week or almost every week where mm-hmm. they discuss more RPG events it'll be very busy because I believe you're on the corner yeah it's jeez Mr. Minky couple weeks would you like to put us to bed uh, that's something you generally don't do very much of in Persona 3 right go to bed and sleep instead of tearing around uh, the dungeon There, that's Tartarus becomes your pillow in Persona 3. What a what a statement that is. Good night. Good night. Ash.
Smash all over, spit it out, some game's over.
Thank you.